It is like a pit stop, yeah, and I just have to sit there humming while, while I pays with my credit card. Hi, James and Bryn here from Adventure Bike Rider, and we're joined in this episode of the ABR Garage by gear expert and all-round good guy, Ed Miles, from Lindstrands and Halvarsens. So, boys, what have you been up to the last week or two? Ed, kick us off. Ten-second pricey. So, it's been a, a long two weeks. I uh, broke my thumb playing basketball, so I haven't been doing much riding. Um, but last week, I uh, was over in Finland to talk about the future of our two brands, Halverson's Lindstrand. So it's been an interesting week, five to ten year plan. So lots going on. Lots no of meetings, was... boardrooms, things like that. Uh, kind of like that. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. No, I'm sure it was great. Brayden, what have you been up to the last week or two? Uh, I have had a very motorcycling-based existence. Wonderful. Over the past two weeks, it's been great. Uh, two weekends ago, went over to Ireland for the ABR Island Rally, which was amazing. So a weekend over in Ireland, obviously, with members of the Adventure Bike Rider Forum who uh, set up and run the Adventure Bike Rider Rally over there. We went out for a ride on a Saturday. Um, lots of nice food, drink, and then a ferry back. It was great. Plenty and of Guinness. Guinness, yeah. Oh, the Guinness yeah. was amazing. You've, I mean, yeah. It's always better, isn't it? Always better. Always better. Yeah. Always better. And then uh, last weekend, we were at the uh, MCN Festival of Motorcycling uh, in Peterborough, which was lovely as we got to meet loads of you guys. Thank you for coming to see us, if you did. Okay, so I missed both of those events. Yeah, well, which was great. To, yeah, yeah, but I have been motorcycling, it's all right. So uh, probably the thing I did the most recently was the uh, press launch of the Yamaha Tenere 700 World Raid, which is, uh, if you haven't come across it yet, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger, more off-road bias version, a more long-distance kind of focused version of the, the Yamaha Tenere 700, which is a, a really popular touring bike. Uh, we're in Spain, rode some amazing trails in the glorious sunshine, uh, and had a thoroughly miserable time. It was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you always looked pretty unhappy in the photos and, and everything. But how did you like the bike, more I, importantly? Yeah, yeah. It was, for the, the stuff we did, it was incredible. Like the, Most bike launches, you'll spend most of the time on the road, and you'll do a bit of off-road riding. This was the opposite. It was yeah. really focused on the trails, and the bike was just incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty much a... It feels very much like a Tenere, the same engine, the same chassis, but it's got better suspension, it's got a bigger screen, uh, it's got bigger tanks, it's kind of a, a Tenere 700 on steroids. Yeah, so I know we're going to do a video about the Tenere 700 World Raid at some point so very soon, but very quickly... What would you choose, Tenere 700 Standard or Tenere 700 World Raid? Uh, for me, World Raid, hands down, bigger fuel tanks, 23 litres of fuel, uh, as opposed to the 16 on the standard bike. For my type of riding, I love bike touring. Say no more. Easy. Say no more. All right. This is the premise. We're off on a bike tour together. Good times. We're going to start in the UK, jump on a ferry over to Calais, and head down to the mountains of the Alps. Uh, we'll spend a couple of days going on fast roads in France, and then do some awesome mountain passes. Maybe a couple of trails when we're down there, if we find some Alpine military roads. But the question is this. What do we wear? Full face or flip front? Laminated three-layer, leather or textiles. What gear do we need for a tour with kind of mixed conditions and mixed riding? Now, before we get into talking about the gear we're going to take, uh, you've got a, an exciting announcement about some gloves. Yes, we made a decision a few minutes ago to give away a set of gloves <laughs> to one of your, um, <laughs> one of your listeners slash viewers. Um, so James's gloves are sitting here on the desk, so I just gave us the idea to give away a pair of our Halverson's Yourstyle gloves, which is our best-selling glove in the UK from Halverson's. These retail at £99. Mid-season glove, waterproof, 60 grams insulation, outlast lined, uh, extremely comfortable, great all-season glove. It's not perfect for the summer use or the deep winter, but that mid-season period is perfect. So we're going to give away a set of those 
to the best comment at the end of the video. Yeah, good stuff. We're not giving away these ones nope. exactly because these are ones I wrote to work on <laughs> this morning. Um, but we are going to uh, go through some of the comments you guys left us after the last episode of the ABR Garage. And uh, yeah, we'll edit pick his favourite and we'll send these gloves over to you. Good stuff. All right. Absolutely. So guys, gear. Uh, what are we thinking about? I think we should start with a jacket. That's, that's kind of the main Normally. piece of gear. Yep. Yeah, people yep. tend to think about when they're buying motorcycle gear for the first time. Um, we've got lots of different options. We could go laminated, we could go three-layer, we could go textile, we could go leather. Um, so, Bryn, for you, you've just come back from two or three-day tour of Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what was your gear set up there and, and what would be your ideal jacket to wear? So, I am a big fan of laminated jackets. I think... For riding year-round in the UK, they're pretty much perfect. You know, I spend a lot of my time riding in miserable weather, and they're great for that. But if we're talking about riding over to the Alps in the middle of summer, changes things up a little bit. But I still think I would take a laminated jacket, providing that it had adequate ventilation. Yeah, because we're talking, we're going to be there in, well, we'll say June, July. June, yeah. mm -hmm. You know, it can get pretty hot. Yeah, but it can get very hot. I mean, you could be riding in 35, 40 degrees when you're going up these up to the mountain passes. But then you got to remember when you get to the top of the passes, it's not uncommon for it to be below zero. Bloody freezing. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I, you know, before I've gone in the past and I've actually packed, my, I've worn my laminated jacket going over there. And then when it gets a bit too hot, I've got a lightweight mesh jacket that I've got in my panniers. Yep. Um, which I think is probably the best setup to do, to to do and I nice yeah. there's a, there is a slight improvement to that setup you could make very small one so um, quite a lot of laminate jackets now are coming through with full stretch in them so there's mm -hmm. a couple out on the market now which have full stretch um, and what you can do is you can actually take the armor out of your stretch laminate jacket take the linings out so you've just essentially got the shell and you can wear your mesh your laminate over the top right. that way you're not carrying two loads of armor so yeah. it, you you can you can uh, layer the two jackets together it's doable now with the new stretch stuff that's coming out this year and next year quite new technology for, for the for the for the system but it it would work perfectly for this trip because as you say you're going from very low temperature to very high temperature mm. up and down the mountains quite quickly if you want to just put on a laminate jacket over the top of your mesh that gives you the wind wind stopper the abrasion resistance all those areas you can do that yeah and obviously with the laminate as you're right you can open the ventilation points anyway so for sort of mid uh, a mid temperature you keep the mesh on have your laminate over top open your vents you're gonna get some airflow in as well but it's not going to be as cold as a mesh, so that would probably be the perfect setup for for that, I would say. So, what are you what are you going for? You're on the trip. What are you picking? Okay, so uh, exactly what I just said. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can I can name I can name, uh, I can name the jackets, obviously. Yeah, but, go for um, it. So, uh, obviously, Halverson's product we do is Adane, which is our mesh jacket. It was actually developed specifically to go underneath a jacket, so it's very tight fitting, um, open weave, it's single A. Uh, it's got the full. Uh, level two armor system in it, apart from the back protector, which is level one, which can be upgraded. Uh, and then a narrow jacket over the top, which is a stretch fit, plain black jacket. Actually comes with no thermal liner in it. It's got Outlast built into it. So um, I don't want to become a full advert of my product, so, but that's no. what I would wear on, um, on that trip, definitely on the top half. Cool. I was just going to bring up a point um, about motorcycle jackets in general. Um, when we talk about three-layer jacket, we include the thermal liner in there as well. I don't think it's unfair to say that I've thrown away, not thrown away, I've put to the side the thermal liner of every single jacket yeah. that I have bought. 
just had a burning in your garden. Yeah, yeah, full of thermal, thermal yeah, all yeah. these synthetic materials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't rare. This is absolutely normal. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Naran jacket, whilst Tom, it doesn't have a thermal lining. It has Outlast built into it. That's not thermal. We can talk about that a bit later, if you like, when we talk about base layers. Mm. Um, but if you look at some of the three layers, as everyone calls them, they're actually two layers. So the Halvorsons Mora, the uh, Rooker Oravesi, they're actually two layer. They've just got removal waterproofing. Mm. So you haven't got that thermal. And then you can wear um, a sort of uh, a down jacket underneath if you wanted to yeah. uh, as your third layer, which is because then you can wear it in the cafe or the pub later as well. Well, that's so it. it, that's it yeah, exactly. It's perfect to have that, that option to be able to mm -hmm. wear the, the insulated jacket off the bike as well. Mm. Mm. So I guess the benefits of, of a laminated jacket are it's waterproof. Yeah. It's often got a sort of uh, Gore-Tex, which is... Says it's breathable to keep you cooler. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go into that then. I mean, we can go into it for hours, but um, laminate jackets, the big benefit, the waterproofing is because the interior membrane's laminated to the outer on the inside of it, there's no air gap. So, what that means mm. is when it rains, the jacket doesn't pick up water and get heavy. So, it decreases your drying time. So, when you get up in the morning, you can then put a dry jacket on instead of a wet jacket. Yeah. Second feature is when you open a vent, it allows direct airflow into the jacket. That's the two big benefits. I mean, Losses, sorry. So just to cut you off there, but we're, we're talking about this term, laminated jackets. And yeah. I guess actually perhaps we should define it first in that, is it that the, the, the membrane is, is laminated to the actual jacket mm -hmm. material? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we call it a laminated jacket. And that yeah. membrane can be... Can be laminated. It can be Gore-Tex. It can be... Outlast isn't a membrane, but yeah. Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex Dryway, Drystar, whichever yeah. membrane you call it, Gore-Tex is one of the only real brands of membrane. The rest are, um, the rest are manufacturer membranes, essentially. Yeah. Um, but laminated jacket means that on the inside of the jacket, it's essentially glued to the exterior, which is the abrasion-resistant material, but it's still on the inside. Uh, the opposite of that, essentially, the other, the other technology would be drop liner, which you might have heard as well. That doesn't mean removable. It means it's attached to the collar, the cuffs, and the bottom, and it hangs free, the membrane. Yeah. And the, lam the, the membrane itself can be laminated, so it can be three layers. It gets quite confusing for people. Yeah. So the membrane itself can be laminate, but it can be a drop liner. And then the third one is the three-layer system. That's well, the and, and that leads perfectly into my choice, which which I, I wear a laminated jacket pretty much 90% of the time in the UK because it rains a lot mm. and I don't want to stop and have to put a waterproof on and so forth. But when I'm going abroad and I want a little bit of flexibility and I think back to actually the last couple of bike launches I've been on where I've not been sure if I'm going to be high up in the mountains, whether it's going to rain, whether it's going to be baking heat, um, I've opted for a three-layer jacket whether it's at the moment I'm riding the, the Revit Sand 4 and the Halvarsons Mora. Mora, is that right? It's an excellent jacket. Mora, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so comfortable, it's unbelievable. But, um, but they're the two kind of three layers that I've been wearing. And actually, when I go abroad, I tend to go for that three-layer approach, which mm -hmm. is, so it's, uh, they're often softer and more comfortable to wear, I Correct. find, yep. without that kind of laminated membrane on them. So the comfort's an element there. Um, they are also, I find, a little bit better in warmer weather mm -hmm. because, um, well, they're not windproof. Correct. So basically, I'm looking for the answers here. It's like being at school. Tick, tick. <laughs> <laughs> if, I keep, if I keep nodding, you'll Correct. keep talking. That's is that it, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so you, you get that airflow through them on, on the downside. Uh, when it rains, they will get wet. Correct. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah, they will get wet. But I do like that. Um, so for that extra ventilation, I've ridden so many times in Spain where I've been cruising on the motorway at motorway speeds. And... Um, and the, the helmet's been open, the vents have all been open, and the air has just felt like oven air coming mm, towards you. I don't yeah. know if you guys, you know, yeah. you experience that in the summer. So for me, I think a three-layer jacket 
with a waterproof to hand in my map pouch or uh, in a pannier um, and then with a, an extra kind of insulated layer for when I go up in the mountains I can throw it on a little bit more faff 100% more faff the big benefit yeah. to, to that system is when you're doing the sort of fire road type riding yeah. because you're working a little bit harder you can take the membrane out mm. so that would be the big benefit of that system whereas when you're wearing a laminate jacket you can only open the ventilation points yeah. also if we, if we were doing the trip maybe further south then I would definitely go along that route. If we were going Spain, France, down into the very south of Europe, probably. Yeah. Sorry, I know we are going to France, sorry. The south of France, I meant. Um, then I would probably take take that advice, like a Mora or a, or a Vasi or um, the Sand, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always just mention about, uh, you, you said the word, um, breathability mm-hmm. of waterproof membranes. I feel, um, like I'm, I feel like I'm in trouble. No, I, no, no, I, no. I, I, no, it's very, yeah. I, I think this is an important point to cover because so many um, waterproof membranes and waterproofing methods are sold on their breathability it's credentials. A big marketing term. Yeah, it? and it's yeah. also the sort of term that if someone who's talking, someone's talking about gear, they'll say, oh yeah, it's breathable. Yeah. And you ask them, well, how is it breathable? Mm-hmm. Or why is it breathable? Nine times out of ten, they just go, it just is. <laughs> it's, it's breathable. It's Gore-Tex, about. isn't it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it says Gore-Tex on it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not saying this about one specific brand of, of waterproof line, I'm saying it about all of them, and this is why laminates aren't necessarily the best for hot weather, is because the conditions where a laminate, a waterproof lining can be breathable in are so specific to many different uh, situations for instance the outer of the jacket needs to be completely clean yep. and if you're riding a motorbike you're riding through crud you're riding through fumes you're riding through all sorts of stuff the outside of the jacket is only clean when you've got it out of the showroom but secondly what well, if the water if the art if the the laminated membrane is waterproof is breathable even if it's the most breathable thing in the world motorbike jackets are filled with armor and they're filled with multiple layers and they're filled with all sorts of things that block the breathability of the jacket so I think breathability is something that people need to be concerned with a little bit less when they're buying a jacket. The the actual fact of breathability is that most of the breathing from a jacket, most of the moisture escape comes throughout the chimney at the top, yeah. which is the hole in the neck, because that's where all the hot air is escaping. So it, most of it's coming out the neck yeah. anyway. Which so is you, why, sorry, I'd jump it in there, which is why the best thing for breathability is effective venting. Mm-hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Why I cry a little bit when I get a laminated jacket and there's no vents on it. Well, it doesn't make any sense to have a laminated no. jacket with no vents. And I want a vent that pins back. Yeah, I don't want to just you know do those, those chest want, vents yeah, where you open vents. them up. I'm all the way back. Well, big exhaust. Just yeah. I love the ones down the arms. As yeah, well. just just on the on the ventilation point. I, I mean, again, I'll try and keep it brief. But um, <laughs> there's a couple of different ways of doing it. You can either have a fully wa- uh, waterproof zip. Be a bit careful what I say on zips. Yeah, water resistant yeah. is how we use. Yeah, so <laughs> we use a zip called a Nygard zip, which we think is the best water zip you can buy for the application. But what uh, a lot of manufacturers are doing is putting membranes behind the vents. So yeah. a little tip for all your readers, and I say this on every video I've ever done and every talk I've ever done: is put your hand up behind the vent and blow through it. Mm. If you can feel air, it's a direct air. If it hasn't, it's got a membrane behind it. You're not going to get any air into the jacket. You can do that on every jacket on the market. Yeah. So it's the best test, and then you know you've got a direct air ventilation product. And that's the uh, that's the drawback of drop, drop liners. liners. Correct. You yeah. can't. Well, you, there are a couple of jackets on the market you can open now. So yeah. they have they have got. There are a few that you can that you can do it with. Um, an Italian manufacturer and a French manufacturer both have those ventilation points <laughs> um, on their drop liners. Um, but the other thing to test is uh, there's two way, three ways of doing it. You can either have a membrane behind it so the zips don't have to be waterproof. 
or you can put a membrane behind it and some people are putting punch vent holes in those membranes. So there's a membrane, but there's actually holes in it to allow a little bit of airflow through. And then there's the fully and open water. one. So yeah, and water, right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's very difficult for consumers to understand, to, to find out, especially if they're buying online. Mm. So I would always just go into shop trying it. Or if you do buy online, just test it when you get there to make sure you're getting what you think you're getting, making sure you're getting a direct air. So benefit. go to the shop. And every jacket just blows. Correct. And blow, they'll, they'll, you'll and look, blow, really, and you'll look really strange if you'll get the right jacket. <laughs> you might get a bit dizzy yeah. by the end of it as well. No, it's actually what we do. Yeah. You'll find us doing it in the ABR office when we're reviewing... It's walking jacket. on James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we're reviewing jackets, trousers, whatever, you yeah. know, we will, as well as going out and riding the stuff, we will blow through the vent just to make sure there is direct vents in there. Um, one word none of us have mentioned on our trip is leather. Oh, actually, yeah, sorry. Already, <laughs> because I have to admit, I went to uh, Spain about two months ago for the launch of BMW's K1600. Mm. And, uh, and I don't know why, because it's a big touring bike. I just naturally went for my leather jacket. And it was great. Thankfully, it didn't rain. But um, yeah. none, of us, none of us thinking going casual, looking cool. I, do you know what? I don't, if, if we weren't doing the off-road element of it, I probably would. And I think that I would be more inclined to wear leather jacket and jeans. Like these, these are actually motorbike jeans that I've got on now. Yeah, mine too. Because yep. <laughs> yeah, because they're just so much more comfortable. They look better, and when you get off the bike at the end of the day, you can go straight to the pub. Yeah, yeah. alcohol-free beer. Free alcohol-free beer. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know that is comes with the uh, uh, the added thing of you'd have to wear, bring a waterproof over jacket with you or and waterproof over trousers so it is extra faff and nine times out of ten when i've been wearing leather and jeans by the time i've decided it's time to pull over and put the waterproofs on i'm already soaked mm-hmm. because yeah, i'm lazy you, you don't bother and then you just get Have a more wear miserable and then you're miserable. Time. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are options with leather again that you can you can buy <laughs> drop line leather product so you can buy leather jackets oh, yeah. with waterproof drop liners in uh, and some with removable waterproof. How do Varsons have one, don't they? We do have two, yeah. actually. Yeah. We've got a high M one uh, again, which is uh, a drop liner with Outlast TFL Cool on it, um, and then we have a cheaper one that's more sort, a little bit more sporty with sort of stretch panels. And it's it's quite uncommon, right, to have a leather jacket with a waterproof lining in it. Sales are quite difficult on them because yeah, the tech, is, people buy textiles waterproofing. That's why it's what it boils down to. I've got one dealer who sells a lot of them because that's what he wears. He's just been on a tour to Portugal. And he wore full leathers, waterproof leathers. Um, it's quite difficult to make a waterproof leather. They're quite expensive compared to a textile right. uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, and it's hard to get the comfort levels and the ventilation and all those sort of things. But you're right, they do look cooler, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think leathers are more comfortable once they're bedded in, once they're fitting to your body. We do quite a lot of leather jeans mm. with, with textile jackets. It's quite a good combination people like because the leather stretches and moves with the body more. And there, there is some truth to it. Well, there is truth to it that leather is, from a protection point of view, mm-hmm. better than textiles. Yeah, I mean, every, every test shows that. Yeah. Regardless of what textile is, the, the leather always comes out on top. And interestingly, jeans, mm-hmm. denim jeans, not, not just denim jeans, denim jeans lined with a para aramid mm-hmm. fiber, uh, full lining, yeah. is better than textiles as well, right? From abrasion uh, resistance. Depends on the textile, but yeah. yeah. In ge- generally in, in a general, if you generally put them up against yeah. each other. The reason for that is it's easier to make a pair of jeans more protective because when you get a textile, you've got to put a waterproof liner in, all those meshes, all those layers. Yeah. But the jean is just denim plus aramid plus armour. So you can still make it comfortable, but make it higher protection. If you did that with textiles, it'd be extremely uncomfortable. So any AAA that you get with textiles, generally, 
I haven't seen anything that's really flexible and wearable. comfortable yet. <laughs> or, yeah, I wouldn't say wearable quite, but <laughs> the stuff that's on the market at the moment is quite heavy. Right. Whereas jeans, there's loads of triple A's. So it just, yeah. I mean, yeah. so we skips on to trousers Sorry. already. <laughs> but before we leave jackets behind, we just wanted to have a chat about any features. So if you know if someone's out there going on tour for the first time, they're buying a jacket specifically to go on tour. Are there any features on jackets that kind of are must-haves? You know, for me, I ride two up a lot. So whenever mm. I go on tour, my wife's always on the back, and I love having a map pouch. There's no map in there. My wallet's in there. My credit card's in there. So when we get to toll booths, she's already preparing yeah. to get through the toll to put the credit card in. So there's no faff. So we're in and out of a toll booth straight away. So it's like a pit it, stop. It is like yeah. a pit stop. Yeah. And I just have to sit there humming while my wife <laughs> pays with my credit card. But um, but for me, if I'm wearing a textile jacket and I'm touring, that's a must now. Mm. What about you guys? Britain, is there anything on a textile jacket that is a Ooh. must for you? Pockets. I know it goes along with your yeah. map pocket, yeah, yeah. but a lot of usable pockets. Um, I tend to put, have a bit of a system of where things go in my jacket, and I will always put the same things in the same pockets, regardless of which jacket I'm wearing. So if I don't have enough pockets, then I end up putting stuff in other places and losing it. So pockets, 100%, and we talked about it, venting, lots of vents. Nice. So. I, I'm the opposite. Yep. I, I don't like pockets on jackets. No, no, no. <laughs> I like them to look quite uh, sort of sleek and, and uh, increases the comfort having less stuff on you. And the safety, of course. If you have keys and stuff in your pockets, it's not great when you crash. So I tend to keep things in a tank bag if I'm going to be touring and just then I can just reach them and use them. But also I don't tell my wife anywhere, so I don't have that <laughs> option of a, of a back pocket. So you keep um, everything simple. Everything, yeah, yeah, no wife and a tank bag. But um, in terms of features on jackets, uh, neck wraps are vitally oh, important yeah, to me. Good, good really call. important, good removable, call. obviously. Um, and stretch in the jacket if I can get it. As much flexibility and stretch as I can get. I am... Um, Something I noticed on a few of your jackets, actually, um, I don't know whether it's a, um, certainly in the past, is the, the zip-in high-vis bits. They don't do it so much anymore. They used to do a lot on the prints and the older ones, um, but it's it's something I think that maybe we should look at bringing back. Yeah, you are right, it's a good option. People attend, people are tending to buy just the, the sort of over over vest and you chuck it over the top mm. because you can still leave it on if it's not zipped on. Yeah. So I don't know what the future hold. We discussed it a bit last week, that, so mm. may may make a return, I don't know. <laughs> we go. I, I just want to say oh, actually yeah. another point on on maybe this means you can ditch Karina and you don't have to use her for your for your toll booth. Well, I do quite enjoy her company as well. <laughs> she, she makes a good touring partner. Yes, that, <laughs> say, that's my not, not the hand, but the watch. <laughs> oh, you're getting all tech here. Yeah. So first time ever wearing a smartwatch on a bike when I went to Ireland, and they've got toll, that's toll the motorways over there are toll toll motorways, and the 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 tunnel after you get off the ferry in Dublin and we worked us with two of the guys Will and his cousin Ross and they were faffing around getting their wallet out blah 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 paying had to wait for them for ages but I realised the importance of an Apple Watch when touring because you just double click and pay genius what so you just hold it up to the yeah oh wow that's yeah. awesome mm. no the amount faff. of faffing you do with gloves yeah. on and off and when it's wet and trying to no get faff at all yeah. it's brilliant there we go that's pretty yeah. tech that's me that's it, that's it. This is this guy always prepared. The guy went and did an iron butt without his wallet. And he managed did you yeah. manage to get through with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that saved my iron butt. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, so we we've touched on uh, we've touched on trousers. Um often people when they're buying a textile suit will buy a textile jacket and, and just have the trousers that goes along with it. Chances are it's got some of the same features as the jacket as well. But you know, if we are 
wearing, say we're all going to wear a textile jacket, are we definitely going for the, the matching trousers? Do we have jeans? Or as you said, do we go for, I think the Ewan McGregor in Long Way Up look, uh, leather trousers <laughs> and, a, and a textile textile top. So what, what are you going for? I think, honestly, I would take jeans. Yeah. Just from the comfort, all day comfort perspective. Even when I, if I even doing a bit of off-road and I'd, I'd wear jeans. They've got armour in them. They're comfortable. I'd throw a pair of over trousers in the in the top box or in the panniers, and that would be me very happy. I think the only problem with jeans tends to be not having a zippable pocket. But if you're out, you don't use pockets. So well, that's it. Pockets no. are dangerous. So. Very dangerous. <laughs> dangerous what, what are you wearing? Killer pockets. Are you putting on your your tightest leather trousers you can get hold of? <laughs> not with these legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, they're all tight. <laughs> I would probably wear the matching trousers, to be honest. If I wanted to ban it, I'd wear them just because I don't like stopping and pulling on over waterproof. So I'd have a, the laminate pant that goes with the jacket I mentioned earlier because mm. it, it, it has a stretch element, which I'll talk about a lot. Um, it, it, it fits them very comfortable. A lot of textile trousers can be quite bulky and have those thermal liners in. This doesn't have any thermals. It's just stretchy. So I'd probably wear those. And that means I can zip it to the jacket as well. But just a note on the jeans, you can get you can get adapters that would have that would attach your jeans to your jacket as well. Yeah. Well, so that's where... You can do some... I can see the braces. braces. They're actually Helvarsen's braces. Are they? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wouldn't wear trousers, motorbike trousers without braces, to be honest. No, it's a, it's a thing in the UK. Most people take braces off, but actually, it's much better with them on. Yeah. Always has been. Most of our pants come with them. I know Rucker's pretty much across the board come with braces as well. Um, actually, it's very good to use. Um, both our brands, Helvarsen's uh, and Rucker, both make a system that zips onto the trouser as well that has a chest protector, back protector in it. It becomes sort of almost zips like onto a salad trousers. Zips onto the trousers, replaces the braces. Yeah. And in Germany, it's massive. In the yeah. UK, we just don't use it. But it makes the trousers much more comfortable, stay up better, better protection, right. and the back protector stays in the right place. My uh, my go-to sort of four-season trousers are a pair of BMW uh, City Guard, I think they're called. And they they look like fishing trousers. Because they come up to about here, and obviously they're German, so it's a similar thing. Braces, but there's like a bib that comes up to here. And if you're in, out riding out in rain or cold, I wouldn't wear anything else. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thing in the UK, we just don't wear that sort of thing. But it's strange, isn't it? Because I find I, every pair of trousers I have, apart from my jeans, has braces on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, it's actually a, it's a pretty much a must for me. But one thing I, I really like, and I, I kind of con- contradict myself here, because I look back at photos of me on tour... I'm usually wearing riding jeans. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's I don't know why, it's it's comfortable. And when I tour, it's not some sort of endurance thing. It, it's going away to have a nice time. So I jump off the bike and go and do things in cafes and bars and tourist attractions. And, but And the benefit, of course, is you don't need to bring another pair of jeans with you for the evening. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. the other, it reduces your weight load. So there's that's a big it. benefit. I'm just in my Speedos in the pool. So <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Um, it's on the bus. <laughs> but one thing I really like about uh, one set of trousers I have is they kind of got like combat style pockets, combat trouser style pockets pockets and they were really really handy mm. like just for putting in well i don't have an apple watch so just for putting in you know if my wife's not with me with a credit card or a toll booth yeah. thing or or my phone or, or, or something like that just that's really quick to hand rather than having to rummage around all my pockets because usually i've got keys and wallets and stuff like that yeah all over the place but um well, another thing that they do on the content that we don't do over here is they quite often have a, a leg bag they yeah. strap on yeah leg, you see them a lot yeah like a fanny pack for your leg <laughs> and, and it's very useful big in Germany again, yeah. big in Germany <laughs> I think the Italians I've, use a lot of them actually as well yeah I can imagine actually that would be really useful mm-hmm. but how's, how's that from a safety point of view depends what you put in I guess put your keys Jeez. in it it's not very safe <laughs> put your pen knife it's fine yeah that's fine right. yeah. put a piece of armour in it's fine <laughs> that's it alright so we're undecided 
about everything as a communal group <laughs> as to what we're taking. But individually, we've got our yeah. setups. Yep. Um, but what about below the jacket and below the trousers? Because I'll admit, whenever I go on tour, I just tend to throw a t-shirt, maybe uh, a thermal mid-layer, mm-hmm. an insulated mid-layer, and then my jacket. But I know that actually, if you're going to make these systems work correctly and avoid sweating and avoid stinking and whatnot, you can have base layers, you can have a mid-layer, and have an outer jacket all working together. Um, so Ed, you're kind of the expert on gear here, or yep. more, of, more of an expert than we are. Um, you know, when it comes to a, a base layer, why should someone choose something more technical over, say, a cotton t-shirt like I'm wearing here? There's a couple of reasons. There's a safety reason, first of all. Um, when you come off, your, your cotton t-shirt, if you do fall off, will grip your skin and cause skin shear. So it can cause injuries because cotton grips. And also if cotton, if you do break the outer layer and the cotton then gets dug into your skin, it can be quite unpleasant to get all the cotton out of your skin because it rots Ouch. and then it, it's a problem. So there is some issues in terms of safety. Um, but most people aren't going to buy a base layer based on safety, obviously. Uh, the big benefits are that um, it aids breathability. So cotton reduces breathability dramatically. It soaks up water and it doesn't escape again. It just gets wet and then you stop your body breathing because you're just wet. And also when you pull away again, you get cold if in the evening because your T-shirt's all wet. So there's so when you buy a, a more breathable base layer, a more wickable base layer, shall I say, it helps wick the, the sweat away. And then you get the more technical base layer. So that would be your standard uh, polyurethane base layer, which is about £20, I guess. You'd pay for a technical base layer, that sort of money, basic. And then you can ramp up how technical it is after that. So and When you talk about technical, what what's, would be the difference between your £20 one and your £100 one? What are you getting? Well, so if you, if you look at what we do, um, our middle sort of price point one is Outlast Merino base layer. So Outlast is a temperature regulator. I'm just going to run through it really quickly. Basically, <laughs> the way Outlast works is We've all experienced it. You're riding down the motorway. You're quite comfortable because you've got wind chill. You pull off the motorway into the petrol station. You get really hot really quickly because you haven't got the wind chill anymore. What Outlast does is as you get hot, you melt the wax beads in the the liner, in the T-shirt. So those little wax beads are encapsulated. They melt and hold the energy. When you pull away again, get the wind chill back, they turn back to solid, give you the energy back. So it regulates your temperature. So it slows down your change in temperature, essentially. So you stay more comfortable for longer. So that's what you get in a mid mid uh, mid layer from us um, with merino as well which is a type of wool um that doesn't uh, absorb water essentially yeah, is that because you wick. hear a lot about merino on the outdoor industry you hear mm-hmm. about it in the motorcycle industry it's kind of the uh it's the, the go-to mm-hmm. you know material isn't it what, what's so good about merino wool over anything else because it doesn't absorb water so it wicks moisture better better than anything else so it gives you the benefits of wool in terms of how thermal it is but it doesn't hold water like a standard wool or a cotton does so it allows you to breathe inside the jacket better so Merino is, is our most expensive base layer, but it's also our warmest one. Mm. If you're going to ride what we're doing, trip to the Alps, I'd wear the Outlast with the Merino uh, combo. It's one shirt, 60% Outlast, 40% Merino. I think that's right around. I always get it wrong. It's one or the other. Um, so Outlast working with it with the Merino over the top, and that should do you for most temperature conditions. Best thing about Merino, above and beyond all of that, is that you can wear it for three weeks in a row and not mm-hmm. smell. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yep. still get food stains on it though. Yeah, yeah, still, you still matter. get ketchup and sauerkraut. And <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, I've amazing. done, you know, in our, in our other magazine, um, now called Wired for Adventure, back when it was called Adventure Travel Magazine, we actually had a little feature in there called Sniff My Pits, which was a base layer test, a regular base layer test on specific base layers. And I think it was how long you could wear it without someone commenting on how much you smell. <laughs> really glad we well, don't do that in the office yeah, we're anymore. Gonna bring yeah. it back. Some of the base layers all treated with silver and all sorts of things like that to stop them smelling. Yeah. But if 
when I'm away, if I wear a standard base layer, you can just, if you're in a hotel, you can wash it in the sink every night and just hang it up and it'll be dry in the morning. Mm. If obviously you're out and about a bit more adventure riding, you either have to find a river or stream or something. I think by the morning, they'll be dry anyway. Yeah. But I think one, one thing that might put people off about base layers is they, they're thinking, I don't know, they're thinking thermals, tight fitting. Mm. You know, some of us don't get away with tight fitting as well as other people. <laughs> but, um, you know, do you, as a base layer, do you have to have it tight? No. Can it just be loose like a T-shirt? It can be just like a T-shirt. Absolutely yeah. fine. Uh, obviously, the tighter they are, the more they'll benefit, but it doesn't make a huge difference. So, And you can you can layer the layers, if that makes sense as well. So once you've got your base on, then you can go for another layer over the top. Some people think that if you have outlast base layer, you shouldn't have an outlast jacket, but actually it just doubles the amount of temperature regulation you've got, so that's fine. Or mid-layer, but yeah, it's a, you can have it wear just like a normal T-shirt, so you can wear it out to the cafe. Nice. You don't have to have it all showing. I tend to do the most backwards thing with my, mid, with my base layers. So I will wear a technical base layer underneath a cotton T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. probably not the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but if it works for you, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Right. You have done an iron butt. There, well, there is that. Yeah. No, I just I think the really tight, nice, close fitting base layer <laughs> with a cotton t shirt over it for me. I know it's not a good idea to have cotton as if you from a purely technical point of view, but I just feel comfortable. In it. The truth is, when you're riding, and that's the best bike, bit about cotton. It's yeah, comfortable. It's, right? It is comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the truth is, that riding is. I can sit and talk about technical stuff all day, but if you're comfortable in what you're wearing. That's yeah. actually all that matters. It's it's the most important thing to certainly the way we do things is else we'd all be riding around in a one piece leather suit with a one piece base layer and you know an RX seven on our head and daytona security evos. And none of us are because it's extremely uncomfortable to wear that every day. It's not waterproof. So there always is a compromise to where yeah. you want to be at. So I'm not gonna preach to people you've same got to with wear bike choices as well. Exactly it? yeah. the same. It's always compromise wherever you're happiest with. So we covered we covered base layers. I know you touched earlier before uh, on insulated mid layers mm. uh, so we won't spend ages on it but before we get onto helmets and anything else um you said you th you tend to throw away or, or put to one side yeah uh the thermal layers that come with jackets you yeah. know kind of why is that and what are you looking for in a replacement typically speaking the thermal mid layer that comes with most jackets the high-end jackets now are good they come with good good mid layers but m typically speaking your standard thermal liner is a very poor quality and it's more of an afterthought for the, the jacket. You know, jacket, these lower price jackets can be really good jackets, but then the, the you're not buying it for the mid-layer. So it tends got to be... They've got somewhere, haven't they? They're saving yeah, money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, first thing I do, take it out and put it in the drawer. Um, and then I'll wear one of my mid-layers that I've got from, you know, various other... Well, just another mid-layer that is designed specifically to be a mid-layer and all of the manufacturer's effort has gone on to, be in, to making it a mid-layer. So... One thing that I've been really enjoying wearing recently is a very thin insulated, it's got a synthetic insulation in it, but it's water, windproof as well. And I think that combination of the two works really well as a mid-layer. That's awesome. Who makes that? Uh, that is Climb. Is it Climb? Yeah, oh, nice. Climb. Um, it's the one they sent for you. It was too big. So <laughs> I wore it. <laughs> Swipe quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, but to be honest, if it gets colder, I will wear a heated jacket. Yep, yep. Every time. Yeah. And if it gets uh, warmer, then I ditch the mid layer. So, so I know um, a lot of you know a lot of you guys out there might have thermal layers from hiking or, or things mm. like that. Now, I know, Bryn, you used to do a lot of mountain climbing and hiking outdoors and, and things like that. <laughs> then you, you climb Mont Blanc and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what, what was the difference between getting something that's specifically designed for bike as a thermal insulated mid layer than something that you might use on a mountain or on, in um, the high street? 
It's tricky, actually, because we did a recent test, didn't we? I think it might be in this issue mm. of ABR on mid-layers. Issue before. Yep. Issue before, on specifically on mid-layers. And there's not, in terms of ha- the makeup of the jacket, there's not much difference between an outdoor mid-layer and a bike-specific mid-layer. You know, insulation works re- regardless of where you are. Um, I guess the profile of the jacket would matter more on a motorbike. So when you've got a, a jacket over the top of it, you don't want something super bulky underneath it. Um, also, I... I used to prefer down on a motorbike to synthetic, but then I started thinking that a heavy bike jacket is compressing the down. The down feathers are what catches the air and insulates. The down is actually natural feathers yeah. from a living, breathing animal. Yeah, sorry, I should say, the, yeah. in terms of insulated jackets, there are two types, synthetic insulated and down insulated. Um, both have their benefits, pluses and pros and cons, depending on the use you're looking to get out of them. Down's benefit is exceptional warmth to weight ratio so you can have a very light jacket that packs down tiny but it'll be super super warm like uh, like you'd find in a sleeping bag yeah yep. exactly if it's a down sleeping bag yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they get in, in sleeping bags they do synthetic and they do down so um but the only problem is down doesn't work very well when it's compressed or when it's wet and the unless it's you know some downs these days being treated with hydro hydro like phobic hydrophobic hydrophobic uh coatings which means that the, the down feathers retain their uh structure when it gets wet so they don't lose their effectiveness but still if you put in a heavy motorbike jacket over the top it's going to compress the jacket and it's not going to be as effective at keeping you warm so that's why i've taken to using a smaller thinner synthetic jacket and then if it, get, it does get really really cold like i said throw on a heated jacket with it yeah, and the joy, I guess, the joy of having these thermal layers, and it might not seem the sexiest thing in the world, you know, oh, when is. you've got, like, helmets and jackets and boots to buy, but something like a, an insulated layer, it packs down small, throw it in your pannier plane, in even your mat pouch, and mm. you just bring it out, and top of a mountain pass, it's going to make life a hell of a lot more pleasurable, oh, isn't it, than absolutely. freezing cold? Yeah, I'd just add with, with, with um, so you're right, you've got down, and then you've got synthetics, but then you've got different types of synthetics as well. So you can, you can. I'm not sure we want to go down that rabbit hole today. That's not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, only, I'm only making the point because you can get cheap ones and more expensive ones, yeah. and some work better than others. So it is worth looking to see what you're getting in. Yeah. Probably the best known one is Primaloft. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100. That yeah. that's probably the best known. We use one called Innerborn, which is very high quality, and then you can get finsulates and standards. Yeah. So just have a look at that and, and check out what what's working and what's not. So well, problem loss amazing, isn't it? It is amazing, yeah. yeah. You've done the expensive. thing where you put it on your hand, mm-hmm. and it just yeah. So you get prime loss synthetic insulation. Just put a bit of it on your hand, and you can feel it the heating water. up. Yep, it's and it's fully waterproof as well. Yeah, it's mad. Witchcraft, witchcraft. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, we've got our jacket sorted. We've got our trousers. We're gonna stay warm with base and mid layers. Um, helmets. What helmet mm. are we gonna take? Could be you know, could be an easy question. Could be the one there, but. You know, do you have a peak? Do you go full face or flip front? Do you have a, a tinted visor and not be able to see in the dark? <laughs> um, so what's your, what's your fatori? What's your go-to helmet, Bryn? I'm going to turn it around and say it's your turn. to. Is it my turn? <laughs> there we go. Well, I, I've kind of had this thing where I'm in a very fortunate position working for ABR that I get to test and try out lots of different helmets. Mm. And I've, I've, I've tried lots of really good ones, but I've never found one. I really, really love, and I stick to, and I, I swear by. So when people ask me, oh, you know, what's the best type of helmet to get? I was like, I just, I don't know. Um, but a helmet I wear a lot is Arai's, or Arai's, Arai's Torx 4, which yep. is almost, which is your 
traditional classic adventure helmet it's got the peak it's got um plenty of ventilation a huge chimba. field of vision chimba it's it's if you don't know it's the helmet that ewan and charlie i think have worn in all their long way tv shows haven't they i think they're probably sponsored by ri but you know it's it's kind of that classic one um the downside to the Torx Four is that it doesn't have a sun visor, mm. and that really, really bugs me. Even though I find it incredibly comfortable, uh, and I find the peaks pretty good um, at high speeds as well. Yeah, you yeah. don't get too much sail effect. It's probably one of the best out there, uh, but it doesn't have a, a, a visor, a drop down sun visor, and that's something that Arai actually is part of their policy. Mm. In that they don't think you can. Uh, what well, they think if you have a drop down sun visor, it, it somehow. I don't know, loses some of its safety credentials. Um, yeah. A lot of other manufacturers would disagree with that. Um, but despite the fact it hasn't got that, and it really annoys me that it hasn't got that, I tend to wear that helmet an awful yeah. lot. But I wouldn't wear it on a naked bike. No. <laughs> I'd have to have an adventure-style bike because with a decent pressure screen. on the neck. Yeah, and just a, yeah. on a naked bike, where if you've got a screen, yep. the sail effect is really, really minimised. Yeah. I'd say the, the, the peak on the Tour X4 is... Along with the showy uh, Hornet Adventure, there's probably, I would say, having tried just about every Adventure helmet on the market, they are the two best peaks in terms of their streamlinedness. And the overall Good. helmets are nice, aren't they? They're comfortable. And yet they're, they're not cheap either. They're expensive. Oh, yeah. They're top like, you know, what, would you, what would you say the benefit of the peak is viewed it just the sun? So... Sorry, I mean, I know, I know what the peak's for originally. Yeah, for me, I, so I, I, I'd spend a lot, a lot of weekends riding west. On a Friday night. <laughs> go uh, west. I do. I go west. And I, I have family down in the southwest of England. And on Fridays, I'll do uh, three or four hours on the motorway going west. And that sun slowly sinks further and further down. And, uh, and the amount of time when I don't have a peaked helmet, even if I have got a sun visor, the sun's so strong that I'm riding like this. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's not great. Whereas having that visor, just give it a little nod down. And the sun's yeah. out of the way. So sun is one of the main things. Um, but also, when I ride off-road, um, I just find it helps with low-hanging branches, things like that. It just provides a little bit of protection when you're doing that. So um, they're kind of the two main things for me. So I, 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 don't wear, I don't wear a helmet with a peak at all, uh, unless I'm motocrossing, or, yeah. which obviously then you are to protect your face from stones and mud and all the rest of it. So I don't wear one at all. I have worn them. Um, but you're right, the only benefit is that the, the negatives are there as well with, as you say, the mm. sail effects, the weight, the noise, all those are the negatives. So I don't wear one personally, but I do understand why you'd wear one if I you're riding I west all the time. I tend to find when I wear a helmet with a peak, I wish I didn't have the peak on. And then when I don't wear a helmet <laughs> yeah, with a peak, yeah. I'm like, where's my peak? <laughs> where's my peak gone? Yeah, yeah. I need my yeah. peak. So, uh, yeah. I can see why you'd wear to choose the Torx for. And I know you're a fan of a flip front helmet. Now I am, I'm not yeah. so much, and I'm, I'm only not a fan of a flip front helmet because my face does this, <laughs> and I just hate, I just hate the look. But um, what is but it? you don't see to my what's that? What's it do? Like, like that. that. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, yeah. So, um, but I know you wear flip fronts an awful lot. You know, yeah. why? Why is it that they do the business for you? Uh, well, first of all, I will just say that I think helmet choice is such a personal. <laughs> all right snigger uh helmet choice is such a personal thing because and I, i've written about this recently in abr that when it comes to helmets they're all made for there's so many different shapes and sizes <laughs> i am talking about these things here sorry yeah, mate. yeah there's Just don't look at me <laughs> so many different shapes and sizes and everyone's got a differently shaped or sized head and <laughs> he's lost i've lost him <laughs> A different, <laughs> so you tend to find you gravitate to one. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Jesus. Just Don't a schoolboy. Schoolboy. Tend to find you gravitate to one manufacturer yeah. over another. And fortunately for me, it's been Chewy, which I've got. I'm, I'm probably not saying it right. Chewy, Chewy. Either or. Either or. Um, I find the Chewy helmets fit my I just changed the way I say it halfway through anyway. Chewy helmets fit my head pretty much spot on. So I'd, most of the helmets I wear tend to be Chewy helmets, which is, I guess, bad because they're expensive. Why do you love the flip from? What's the advantage? Sorry, yeah, that's the question I was <laughs> answering, wasn't it? Before you, <laughs> uh, so I would, yeah, flip from versatility. Versatility, basically. Um, if it's, you know, you're talking about getting to toll roads, uh, toll booths, petrol stations. Flip it open. You can have a chat with someone. If you, you know, motorcyclists can be quite intimidating people, especially you, especially yeah. me. Uh, when you're talking to someone, if you flip your helmet up. I didn't say anything. No, you didn't. I didn't even laugh. <laughs> I was over it. Flip your front, flip your face up, and you know they're suddenly they're talking to a person. They can see your eyes. They can see your mouth moving. So it's far less intimidating. But also, you know, if it's dual homologated, so meaning you could, it's certified to be where where it flipped up. So it's safe to wear flipped up. So they say it means when you're touring in super hot weather, have your helmet flipped open. It's like wearing an open face helmet. You get the full benefit of ventilation. Well, that, and that's important to look out for, isn't it? When you're buying a helmet, is uh, not all flip from helmets are legal to wear with the lid up? No, that will change this year. EC twenty two hundred six. They have to be homologated to up and down. Has to be safe in both positions with twenty two hundred six. So every every helmet that's every flip will be homologated oh, wow. to P and J. So if you look on the the white label on the tab, it will say P slash J mm. means it's homologated. That's including EC twenty two hundred five. That means it's homologated both ways. I mean, I, I don't get into CE standards exceptionally, but dull. But yeah, if you look for P and J, that means it's homologated to yeah. both. Pretty easy to spot. So up until then, keep an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those, but yeah, those 2205 helmets going to be on sale for a few more years at least. So yeah, yeah. Just, just look on the little white label on the strap. I've got to admit though, I, even if it is P and J or P out, if it is dual homologated, I still don't like the idea of crashing with my chin bar up. Nope. Doesn't sound like a good idea. That's why I don't, I don't really feel good wearing open-faced helmets. No, no. But I, I mean, they passed the right stand, safety standards, so I can't mention. I can't talk about them not being safe. Well, they're not mm. safe for the front of your face, no. though. <laughs> Pretty bad in the front. And actually, just a, a word of warning: if you do look at um, helmets and they look like they're a full face, it's always worth checking the white label because some of them have a thing called NP, which is non-protective face. Yeah. yeah. So just to be aware of those those C standards when you're in a shop, if it, even if it's got a chin bar, it's worth checking that just to make yeah. sure it's a protective chin bar and not just a, a style thing. It's pretty crazy that some of the chin bars wouldn't be, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's yeah. absurd, really. Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, there's a lot of brands that do that, and you can kind of see why because they want to get that style and fashion, mm. and you want some weather protection, but yeah, it doesn't pass the the more rigorous full face standard. Mm. So I'm not sure how that works with 2026. I haven't looked into it yet. Yeah, I don't, uh, can't know everything. We'll come back, <laughs> we'll come back to you on it. Yeah. So what are you what are you riding for with us down to the Alps? You say you do mostly road riding. Yep. Don't wear a peak too often. Nope. So what what's your go to style? You just going full face? You going flip front? You going? Yeah, I would. I normally I normally would just go full full face helmet. It's the yep. truth of it. I normally would go standard full face. I would probably have a black visor with me on my on my hip to change into if on I needed to on my hip. So it wraps around your body and then goes on your sort of side here. How do, you, how, do, how do you wear it? Like it just comes like a, a fanny pack. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you got a little visor. <laughs> a, a little pack. visor fanny pack, yeah. and you put it in there. And you can switch it over onto dark, and then at night time, put the light one back on. So um, drop down sun visor is much more convenient, of yeah. course. Um, and twenty two six allows you to have darker tints legally as well. Oh. Um, so oh, that's right. going to help that's as well good. in the UK, particularly because you know a lot of riders are still riding around with full dark visors. Yeah. 
And whenever I've been stopped, they normally just say, have you got a clear on you? Have you but been stopped? I wouldn't stopped? suggest doing that. Yeah. You have actually been yeah, stopped? Not recently. This was a while ago. Yeah. Um, Avery bike me. I got stopped twice. Right. Um, for black visor. Yeah. It happens. Um, and I do understand why, because you can't see anything out of it at night at all. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So it's very illegal. But as long as you've got a clear on you, I, find, I think that's fine. Um, in Europe, it's absolutely fine as well. So if we're doing that sort of trip, I'd probably flick them over um, from a dark to a, or a legal smoke, should we say, yeah. to a clear. You look badass in it as well. Yeah, right? and yeah. it looks better, definitely. You notice all the videos online when you're showing home, it's always got a black visor on it. Yeah. All the pictures have got a black visor on. In fact, has that one up there got a black visor on it behind you? It has, yeah. There you go, because yeah. it looks better. So. Yeah. Um, so that's probably what I would do. Uh, I'm not going to get into makes because the parent company, my company, has helmet brands within it. So if I start talking about makes, I'll either get in trouble or it'll look like an advert. But, um, <laughs> right. So we, we do shoe birth and aero and things like that. So yeah. uh, th there's some good helmets in those ranges as well. But I think you're right. I think the show is excellent. The arrow is excellent as well. So uh, one thing with helmets, I would always go composite shell if I can. Composite or carbon to keep the weight down because um, the polycarbonates tend to be heavier. Uh, and also composites tend to have more effort put into making them. Um, what I mean by that is polycarbonates can quite often just be a, a factory shell and they change the vents and things on them. Right. Whereas composites tends to be properly manufactured, designed helmets, more time in wind tunnels, that sort of thing. So if you go for a composite, you're going to get lower weight, higher crash resistance. Again, we can go into why that works. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, polycarbonate deforms, which reduces the amount of EPS you've got in your helmet when you have an accident. Whereas yeah. composites crack, and they don't deform, which means that you, you get better protection out of them. So a question we often get um, from people, and it sort of ran, ran home to me, last weekend just gone why should you spend a lot of money on a helmet I, you could probably do a whole different episode mm -hmm. on this but an hour yeah <laughs> exactly it's you know i've seen people selling helmets for 20 30 quid you know, mm -hmm. they pass the right safety standards well they say they do yeah there's a difference there it's you can sew the label in but sometimes there's no testing behind that label so you have to be very very careful yeah uh if you're buying a helmet and you don't want to spend too much money there are plenty of helmets out there that have passed the correct safety standard yeah. between 50 and 100 pounds. Once you go below that, I would be very dubious yeah, because the testing itself is expensive. So you're going to get to a stage where they're not making any money. I think if I, if I was buying a helmet that cheap, I would make sure that it's been through that, the sharp, mm -hmm. uh, that's the government run. Yeah. Or just, or just a, a reputable brand that you've heard of, yeah. you know, those, those sort of HJC Scorpion shark that one of those yeah. brands, they, they all make helmets at that sort of price point. What do you what do you get in? So if you've got I, my first helmet was a hundred pounds HJC helmet, mm -hmm. love it, all the features I want, a little bit noisy, mm -hmm. does a great job. What am I getting if I then go up to a four, five, or six hundred pound helmet? So the first thing you're gonna get is your hundred pound one's gonna be a polycarbonate, not a composite. That's the first thing, so it's gonna be heavier. Uh, it's not gonna be as protective in a, in a fast accident. Slow accidents, it's much more, there's much more parity, but in fast accidents, it's going to be more protective having a composite helmet. So that's the first thing. Second thing is you're going to have better ventilation, generally. Mm. You're probably going to get a pin lock if you go up as well, as standard anti-fogging system. Uh, the cheek pads are going to be uh, triple or quadruple density, and they're going to be designed to sit round your face, whereas instead of just square pads on the side, so it's going to be much more comfort that's going to last longer. So the padding won't just give after two years and it'll be all floppy. Um, you're going to get an optical class one visor, um, as opposed to a class two, which still passes EC2206. So you get more clarity of vision. Uh, you'll be, feel less fatigued over time. Um, strap system, the, all those things just build up and up and up and up the price. But you you know as well as I do when you put on a, a more expensive helmet, you can tell immediately yeah. where the money's gone. Yeah. Immediately when you put it over your head, the comfort, the feel, the textures, the materials, all those things are better um, and more comfortable. So I think it's more of a comfort thing. There is a safety element to it as well. 
it's definitely a comfort thing with the ventilation, yeah. visibility, all those things. So without going too yeah. too in depth, and you get a handmade product a lot of times as well. So I think a lot of the gear when we do reviews, you know, we talk about the fit and finish and. Yeah. It's got a premium feel <laughs> and that kind of does cover that sort of thing. Yeah. You just kind of you can tell that all those all those elements combine mm-hmm. to make a good product. Yeah. I was at, um I was at the Nolan factory about 20, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. The Nolan Exile factory, and they showed us a graph of um their helmets and the consistency of testing. So they had a very, very consistent level, and then they showed us sort of one of the very budget brands, and they'd have a very good result on the crash test and then a very bad one mm-hmm. because there's no consistency to construction, whereas when you're buying from a brand like the next life, which isn't one of my brands, by the way, um, you're getting a very consistent product out at the end because the amount of quality controls they go through. It was the same when we went over to the shoe birth factory. Every helmet is tested to make sure it's safe before it goes. And there's huge amounts of rejection. It's a big rejection pile in the middle that says that's not good enough, that's not good enough. Cheaper level, those would have all made it through to the end product. So there's all these things. And graphics are all hand-laid, massively time-consuming, yeah. but it takes a long time to hand-lay them and all the the vent graphics uh, match up with the helmet graphics. So all those little things that build up, up and up and up. Yeah. I will say on the back of that, you, you mentioned one thing, but I would say I would never go on a tour with a helmet that doesn't have a pin lock. Uh, absolutely, absolutely not. not. <laughs> I wouldn't no do anything without one. No, no matter how many times a manufacturer says it's an anti-fog visor, never is. I think most people have given up on that now. Yeah. I think most people are just saying, look, you need a pin lock. Yeah. And if anyone hasn't come across a pin lock before, might be new to biking, thinking about getting into biking... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little insert that you put on your vi- on the insert side of your visor. There's two little mounting points on each side of your visor, and the pin lock insert basically sits flush against the inside of the visor and acts essentially as um, it's a sponge, really, isn't yeah. it? A sponge yeah. for your breath, so it doesn't steam up. Yeah, and there's three or four different levels, so you can get a thirty through to a one hundred and twenty, and that's how much moisture they can absorb. Yeah. So the thirty is sort of basic ones, which you quite often we're getting free uh, in the box with anything sub two hundred pounds ish. Once you go up to the higher levels, you know the sort of showy arrow shoe birth levels, you'll be getting a one hundred and twenty in the box, yeah. normally minimum. So you can get the highest quality one. And they've got a silicon bead that means it fixes to it, so well worth it. You get different, and you can get different colored ones as well, so you can get dark or clear. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't want to carry a visor, you could just change them. But I would say they're quite delicate. Yeah, so I wouldn't be changing on a touch. touching or no. cleaning your yeah. pinlock with the anything. The moment you remove it, it yeah. tends to break. Advert for pinlock, they do a lovely cleaning kit to clean your pinlock with now. Okay. A specific kit, because it's so easy to break them. Yeah. That they do a specific cleaning kit now. Right. There we go. All right. We've covered helmets. As a final, are you taking an intercom? Yes, 100%. Are you taking an intercom with you? Normally I wouldn't, but I think if you're doing a tour, then you, in you, with other people you should have one. Not to talk to you. No. To listen to music. That's right. Yeah. For music <laughs> and safety. Yeah. If you do have an accident, you can <laughs> you can call someone and go. I'm lying in a That's in it. a ditch. Can someone come and find me? <laughs> Normally, I don't wear I don't wear intercoms on bikes. Yeah. But if I was doing a tour with other people, I, I would. Yeah, and I find I find it's incredibly handy on your tour with you know more than well even with two of you. Mm. You know, you can just if the guys in front, you can say oh, I want to pull over. I need a wee, stretch <laughs> my legs, whatever. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, good stuff. All right, so we're on to boots now. We could choose adventure boots, touring boots, casual boots. There's lots of different styles out there on the market um, and it can be a bit confusing if you're going off on your first tour and thinking about what to take so uh, you do a, bit, a fair bit of riding what have you found is kind of your go-to setup when it comes to long distance boots so I used to go through well I used to wear specific touring boots uh, I had a really good pair of Daytona road stars road stars yeah, yeah Daytona they're, good, road they're really good boots um, which I actually wore to ride over to the Daytona factory at Eggenfeld? Correct. Eggenfeld in Germany and met Mr. Daytona and he showed me the factory, which was amazing. 
Um, but I do, I do find myself gravitating more to specific adventure boots now. And you know, what is an adventure boot? As a start, adventure boot probably a more it's a more aggressive style boot that is suited for off road use as well as on road use. And even though most of my riding is done on road, I will still wear adventure boots because if you get the more expensive versions, essentially the higher quality ones, they all they come for waterproof, and generally I think that they they kind of suit the look a bit better as well, which is very important for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the look. And yeah. <laughs> I, I guess they're going under the jeans, right? Um, so if I was wearing jeans, yeah. different. They go over a oh, different boot? Yeah. I'd go for casual boots. You were going to wear jeans. So I was yeah. Oh, sorry. I did, didn't oh, I? Oh, no. <laughs> right. He's ruined the whole premise. For the <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I, if, I wear a, if, if I was wearing jeans, I'd wear a casual pair of boots. And I know they are not very good from, they're not as good from a protective point of view, but they're comfortable. All day long. Yep. Yeah. So, but if I was choosing, if I was choosing, <laughs> what's going on there, James? <laughs> my, uh, my, my. <laughs> okay, back to boots. I had a droopy microphone. <laughs> We're heading back to boots now. So, uh, Ed quite rightly picked you up that you chose the wrong boot for your type of trouser. I did, and I ruined the whole podcast. You did, you <laughs> did. So, you're wearing these jeans on tour. Highly inappropriate, but yeah. you're wearing them anyway. Yeah. Uh, what boots are you wearing? So if I'm wearing jeans, I'm probably going for a more casual pair of boots. Uh, still got armour in it. Still uh, waterproof as well, which to me is really important in a touring boot. Even if you're not planning to ride through rain, you always have the possibility of getting your feet wet and riding with wet feet, not very fun. So that's what I'd wear. But... If I was wearing textile trousers, I would go for adventure boots and I would choose specifically um, the ones I'm wearing at the moment, the Rucker Discovery H2Os, which are brilliant. Revit? Risha? Revit? What did I say? Rucker. Rucker. No, no, Revit. Rucker. Revit's boots. Revit. Yeah, Revit. Yeah. yeah, this guy. <laughs> and uh, I saw both of you looking at me like, oh, Rucker. Rucker started making boots. Yeah. Um, Mate, they're incredible though, aren't they? Didn't they, were they, I think they're the only piece of kit... I've seen get 10 out of 10 in ABR magazine since yeah. I've worked here. I have given it out a few times, very, but yeah, it's 10 out of 10 is given sparingly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they've got a few things that make them ideal. To start, they come up to, come up really high. And it's not full adventures. It's like a, it's, it's nearly a full adventure. It's like what would a, you class as full adventure? Well, like a, um, a full off-road boot, I would say. Like oh road, no no road yeah. adventure boot, yeah. I would say, yeah. yeah I'd say all uh, all adventure boots yeah, okay. would be road kind of like I, I always think an adventure boot is halfway between uh, a leather supple road soaring boot and then a motocross boot okay. that's yeah. Yeah, okay. fully armoured so it's yeah, really exactly. just a bit more aggressive styling as well um, and probably goes higher up your leg yeah. a bit than a touring boot so these go really high up your leg ton of armour but they've got a boa uh, tightening system so boa Similar to yep. what is on uh, these gloves in front of us, you just uh, if you've ever worn snowboarding boots before, it's how you yeah. twist, which is yeah, cable system which you twist up. and it tightens up. Yep. And then when you want to get it off, the end of the day, you pop it out and it loosens up, and it just saves so much hassle. Far more comfortable fit than various straps or laces or whatever. Um, and they've got a hinged ankle, so it means that when you walk in, it's the, the boot moves with you and it's far more comfortable. And Does it squeak? 
I have not experienced any sweet. squeak in them, and I've worn them for maybe three years. No way. So there's there's famous boots, the city adventure boots that squeak. Like and they're, they're brilliant boots. I Excellent wear them a lot. Boots. But I've also found my Alpine Stars Toucans, which are Alpine Stars adventure yeah. boot. Also squeak. Yeah, like I think crazy. any any yeah. any boot that has a moving part in its in the ankle will end yeah, up squeaking. If, you, if you've got a plastic hinge on it, it's yeah. going to squeak. Yeah. But yeah. these yeah. Revit boots do not. So that's we what go. I would wear. Um, Some dampening in them, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Water, dry them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what about you? Probably be going for a a standard, uh, to be honest, a standard touring boot. Although. Looking at the the trip you've laid out, there's some some sort of pseudo off road type stuff. You don't have to do it. The off road stuff. You can go straight to the hotel bar and skip that section. I can do the off road. So stuff. we don't I'm all choose the same boot. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know a lot about that Revit boot. To be perfectly honest, so I obviously can't pick that one. So it's fine. But yeah, um, just in general, the, the type of boot. I think in general, if works. I was doing that sort of touring, I'd be in your old boot, probably the old uh, Daytona Roadstar, yeah. sort of go to. Given, I think they're beautifully made products. Again, it's not one my parent company do, so I don't know if I'll be in trouble or not. But so, uh, but it's um, it, that sort of leather, dual leather um, boot that's beautifully made in Germany would do perfectly. Waterproof, breathable, comfortable all day. Again, as you said, yeah, uh, is really that's the quintessential boot on the market, in my opinion. It is the boot yeah. that everyone's copied. If you look at the marketplaces, it's a fantastic product. And it, and it's still sorry, it's still it goes up over your shins. It's got a shit. It's, it's got, got a shin. It's got dual leather. It's got um. Uh, steel shank in the sole so you, get, you can stand so on it to protect yeah and it's got um, aramid fibre to protect the uh, area the membrane from toes toenails <laughs> from toes yeah well you think about it when you're changing gear um, your toenails wear away the membrane that's, that's why point, yeah. that's why boots leak in the toe in my head I was thinking toes on the outside of the boot no, no. it hasn't got toe sliders <laughs> on it open you can and you <laughs> can, sandal star boots <laughs> yeah <same laughs> you can get slightly higher versions of it and shorter versions and more off-road yeah. sole versions there's there's a huge amount and there's five widths in the road star as well yeah they are so you get the perfect width so that that would probably be the that's why I wear on the road so anyway isn't it dated that's what the police wear right depends which police force but yeah some, some do. police somewhere. some somewhere all yeah. bugs right yeah let's made say. up in Yorkshire I believe yeah, yeah. So that's it. Yeah, the Daytona's supremely comfortable, aren't they? But if you're doing the off-road style thing, probably more like the type that you're talking about, or even the um the city you're talking about, or the Alpine style, any of those would do the job. I would always go Gore-Tex in a boot if I can, because yep. I think it means you're, you're guaranteed the quality in the boot. That's an important thing to, to bring up, it, it is, um, why, yeah, go, go, let's go into a bit more detail about why you would choose that. Why Gore-Tex? Yeah. Because the quality control, particularly in the boots, is so high that you know you're getting a quality product. They won't allow you to make a bad product, if mm. that makes sense. Because they've got to put Gore-Tex on it, you can't cut the corners. Yeah. Because Gore-Tex won't let you. They have to okay every product. So they're not going to let their name go on a product that's that's not right. Yeah. Whereas other membranes, obviously, you just buy the membrane and put the booty in. So um, Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like a, a stamp of... A stamp of quality. In, in, in particularly in boots, it's very, very good. That, that side of things. They, they really do make the best products, I think, for waterproofing. I've also found as well, when I've had Gore-Tex boots, as opposed to stuff that it doesn't even have a membrane, it, it does make quite a bit of difference. Like, my socks won't be wet with sweat. Um, it, I know we talked about breathability and the pros and cons, but it's probably something I notice most is in footwear when I'm on a bike, mm. is that I, I would always go for some sort of breathable membrane. I don't mean to be, um, you know, I've turned a little bit, but the base of your foot has got the most uh, pores in of any part of your body apart from your armpits. So you're saying you've got sticky the feet, is that feet. what you're saying? It's the sweatiest part of your body, basically. Yeah. So yeah. you've got so much moisture down there, so it's important to have breathability. Yeah, yeah. When you talk to boot manufacturers, especially at the lower end, it's very hard to make a quality boot at the price point people want. So when you look at 99.99 boots, 
they're always, I don't know how to say it, but a cheap helmet still looks like an okay product. When you look at cheap boots, you can really tell them yeah. where they've cut the corners. You can see the glue. You can almost see the seams in the boots where they've cut yeah. the corners. And it really is the one product where to get a quality product, you don't need to spend much more, but you, you need to spend a bit more to get something that's going to do, do that's the job. A, that's a good point is when you're looking at a boot, you can tell mm -hmm. if it's cheap. In the same way we were saying about an expensive helmet, you look at it and you just say the quality of the, 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 fin the finish of it is just quality. Likewise with the boots... You can see if some if there's if there's glue on on the around the sole going up to the the upper of the boot or you know wonky stitching or you know occasionally you'll pick up the left boot compare it to the right boot and they'll be almost different completely different shades because they're cut off different sides of they're cut from different pieces of leather or sometimes they're made in different factories or made in different boot, factories sometimes. Yeah. It's crazy. Even yeah. trainers, if you look at some trainers, yeah. even major manufacturers, they're made in different factories, the left and right shoe. When you put them next to each other, you can see. Yeah. So it's um it the boots is the one thing riders skimp on because it's the last thing on your mind. You go helmet, jacket, gloves, trousers, boots. It's always the last thing. And it's the hardest thing to skimp on and get a product. And also it'll ruin your trip. If your boots oh, fail, yeah, it's over. Yeah. Because you can feel them the whole time. If your jacket starts leaking, you can put an over jacket over the top. Yeah. You know, if your gloves have a little tear them, you'll probably be okay. But your boots, if the sole goes or the zips go in your boot, you have to buy a new pair of boots or else you won't make the, the end of your trip. Mm. So it's really important to, to get a good quality pair of boots in, in my eyes as yeah. much as anything else. Yeah. And it's the one thing we always skimp on. So I'd agree. Sorry, go for it, man. No, no, I, was, I, I said I would agree. You would agree. Well, that's <laughs> it. So we've got our kind of leather, supple, flexible mm -hmm. touring boot with... Some protection in, yep. but not as much as your more solid adventure boot with yep. a shin guard with big chunky ankle protectors. Yep. So when you drop your NC1100 on a yep. trail onto your leg, <laughs> That's it. Um, it's not going to hurt <laughs> quite as much as it would. So uh, uh, personally, I think if I was going on our trip to the Alps, uh, we're doing some trails, I will always wear an adventure boot. I'll go for the City Adventure 2s, but... I don't want to answer exactly the same as you. So, and actually, the last time—well, not the last time—a couple of times past that I've been to the Alps, um, I actually wore a pair of TCX Hero GTX uh, yeah. ankle boots. Yes. Now, th there was no off-roading involved in this trip. Um, I was actually on a Triumph Bonneville, so I wasn't in any sort of adventure <laughs> gear or anything like that. Well, I did wear a Revit Sand Three jacket, which I thought looked rather fetchy. Yeah, looks silly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, but just to, you know, to show that you d you don't necessarily have to have a full on big adventure yeah. boot or even a large touring boot to go touring. You know, those those TCX. Um, I think it is the Hero GTXs. Yeah. Um, were, were fantastic. They were comfortable. Um, I believe they have a shank down the middle. They've got ankle protectors and a till and hoe cup. Now, if I... <laughs> till and hoe cap. Hup, till and hoe cap. Um, <laughs> it's good enough. Good enough. It's close. No one would have noticed. You know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about your helmet some more. <laughs> well, I'm so but, uh, you're actually crying with laughter. Sorry. Teal and hoe. Teal and hoe cup. A heel and toe cup. Um, but yeah, you don't necessarily have to have a full-on big boot. Now, um, the prerequisite with that, I'll let you get on with it, is that when you come off, you won't be as protected, will you? Okay. you know, you're not, the, these boots go up to my ankle. Um, they're great for walking around in. They look good. They feel cool. <laughs> but... Um, um, you know, if if you come off, you know, if you've got a full length boot, how how are you better protected? 
Well, full length boots came around from um, kickstarts originally. What shin guards are for? When yep. the kickstart kick springs back and hits you in the shin, that's where it came from. But obviously, um, now it's obviously a protected area of the leg. It's just like having an elbow protector, really, having that part. You're not abrasion resistant wise, your trousers should do the job anyway, yep. really. So that height is a bit, it can be a bit dubious. It obviously gives you better weather protection as well, of course. And on motocross style boots, you need all that because you're putting your foot down, you need the support in your ankle, and you're constantly falling off. So it's quite important to have on a motocross style boot. And if you're going off roading, that's so why road boots tend to be a bit shorter. And actually, the whole trend in road boots now is to go really short, like, like mm. you were both saying. That sort of, I don't know, Red Wing-style boot is yeah. definitely the way it's trending because that top bit's not necessarily needed. Um, also, in the old days, people used it as a waterproofing thing, having a taller boot. Now it's not really necessary because, yeah. again, the trousers are covering that element anyway. And also, people used to tuck their trousers into their boots and still do for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Because it looks cool. <laughs> I think it looks the opposite of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so unless you're a really expensive pair of boots or a really cheap pair of trousers <laughs> but um, yeah I, th- I personally don't think there's a massive benefit to it except for the, the off-road capability of it you need that extra support around the bottom of your leg uh, I've had a few times though when uh, a car in front of me has chucked up a stone hit it. and it's hit the, the armour in the front of my leg in the front of my boot and I thought oh thank god I've had that armour there quite often the armour in the trousers will go quite low anyway now it's quite, they're normally quite long on, yeah. p- on better stuff on the cheap stuff it's a, just yeah, a knee cut but on the better stuff up. it goes all the way quite yeah. often it goes all the way down and then you can have a problem with doubling up on the armour and that can be a bit yeah. uncomfortable and it can also make the armour sit high because it sits on top of the boot armour and then it sits over the knee so there's all these little things to consider yeah. unfortunately take all your kit into your shop and try it all on together that's my best piece of advice I'll also say as well with, uh, with adventure boots if you've never worn adventure boots before and you <laughs> put them on for the first time and then you go for a ride you're like what on earth these? Mm-hmm. They're big, they're heavy, they're clumsy. It's hard to change gear. It's hard to lift your foot up to use the brake. But if if that's you, just persist with it because they do loosen up, they do soften up, they do get easier to wear, um, and you do get used to it. Yeah, I think um, I might have a bit of PTSD from the uh, from uh, my motocross days having trench foot after wearing like SG12s a day for three days on the bounce, wet feet and stuff. So yeah, I might have a bit of that going on. But so I want to get something a bit smaller. On our tour, we're, we're staying in a hotel staying dry, campsite yeah. where we can have yeah. a shower. You've, uh, <laughs> if you're doing that, you're having your own tent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, okay, so uh, we've done boots. Moving on to gloves. Uh, again, something that people might overlook a little bit. Yeah. Pair of gloves. They've I'd got a pair so. of gloves. Does the job. They commute in them. You know, what are we looking for in a, in a glove that we want to take touring? So I think there's a lot more to gloves than than people give credit for. You know, like you said, you, you you pick a pair of gloves and you think that'll do. And admittedly, that is exactly what I've done with pretty much every pair of gloves that I've worn. But the the pair of gloves that I take with me on every ride, um, I don't actually know what they're called. But <laughs> <laughs> so here's a helpful. Do you, know, do you know the manufacturer? Uh, it's Rucker. Rucker. Yeah, they'll be Viriums, won't they? They're waterproof. They're not waterproof. Oh. No. So here's the thing. Force airs them. Lightweight probably. summer gloves. Short cuff. Force air. Uh, full armoured knuckles. Mm-hmm. Just incredibly comfortable to wear all day. And so I would take those first and foremost. But I also think that I would be taking a secondary pair of gloves with me that are waterproof and insulated. But if you're going up in the mountains and it's cold or raining, swap them over. I don't think you can have one pair of gloves that will do both. But you know what? That's a rule I live by. The most boring rule in the world ever to live by. <laughs> but I, I just, I never go anywhere without two pairs of gloves. Like mm. I, I'll probably commute to work, but as soon as I go any distance, there's another pair yeah. of gloves in my rucksack or my, or my, uh, my panniers. Yeah. 
Yeah, mainly so because if if a pair gets wet, I, it's just That's horrible it. putting wet gloves on the next day. There's there's nothing that will ruin a trip quicker than cold, miserable hands. I think two pairs is the minimum you'd take. Minimum. Oh, you're more. Oh, Mr. Five Gloves. So Many, well, don't mention five, <laughs> brand, five gloves. Brand, be careful. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, you're right. You take your summer pair, your shorts, pair sealer, airflow up the sleeve yeah. to keep you cool, aerated. That's the first thing on the list. Second thing, you want a waterproof pair. Personally, I would take something thin and waterproof. So with minimal insulation in so that if it's just wet and warm, you've got something. And then I'd have a, a thick pair as well. The reason I say you should take three is because if you get your hands too hot in a waterproof glove, you'll pull the linings out. So this is a problem that happens all the time, and I'm pretty sure most of you as listeners will have had this issue. No, it's so irritating. Is you well, pull the linings yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. The reason is, I mean, I had a gentleman say to me the other day, my, my gloves are faulty, I've pulled the lining out. When I get my hands get hot, I pulled the lining out. I went, yeah, that, that's what happens, because they've got these wickable linings in there to protect the membrane. When your hands sweat, they grip the lining and it pulls them out. So you need those different levels of, insulation so you get the right level of insulation for the ride else you will pull the linings out of your glove and then your miles are thrown in the bin because you're not getting them back in you might be able to but it's serious effort and then they'll just come back out again yeah. so you're getting more technology in like um gore grip from gore-tex which is essentially a laminated technology you've got mc fit system skin fit there's all these different systems hold linings in mm. if your hands get really hot and wet you will pull the linings out so on a tour you definitely need a summer pair and then I would say at least one waterproof pair and then maybe even a very cold weather pair. Because if you're in the mountains at night, it's going to be freezing. So mm. a minimal insulation pair isn't going to do the job unless you're on a bike with heated grips and muffs and all yeah. those sort of things. So it does like, depend... Like the NT1100. Yeah, like the NT, <laughs> perfect bike. So uh, it does depend what your setup is. Heated grips, uh, bark busters or, or muffs, you can just go with a gore grip or a very thin laminated product so waterproof. Uh, version or even you might even get away your full summer gloves at that point because you've got the weather protection and the heat yeah. so you might get away with one pair at that yeah. point so here's another thing which i don't know why i haven't thought about it yet is to to counter that to just take a pair of heated gloves <laughs> they'll be too hot in the summer not when they're not turned on they'll be really warm <laughs> because because when you've got a heated element in a glove you still have to have insulation around it to hold the heat in yeah so it still has the insulation regardless there is there is insulation in it but there's a lot less than you yeah, would yeah. find in another yeah, but they're still going to have a waterproof lining and a liner in. So yeah. when it's hot, so I, definitely I think I'm minimum. changing my yeah. mind <laughs> and going summer gloves yep. and heated gloves. Okay, yep. that makes more sense. And that's the best. Have you got heated grips on your bike though? Yeah. So you want heated grips and heated gloves? I mean, I don't have to put them both on <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Plus, heated gloves don't tend to heat the underside of your hand oh, okay. because of heated grips. Nice. So talking about features, there's a couple of things on gloves that I really... Probably wouldn't buy a pair oh, without. I know what you're going to say. Oh, I've got a droopy mic as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's catching. So is your mic not drooping anymore? No, the mic is... Leave it alone. Don't touch it. I Don't touch the mic. Right, okay. Um, I was going to say, there's a couple of features I know what you can on say. gloves. I know you know what I'm going to say. What am I going to say? <laughs> you're going to say a visor wipe. Oh, so close. Yeah. So close. I was going to say a visor wipe, but it wasn't going to be my first thing. Yeah, my it? first thing was going to be touchscreen sensitive fingers yes or at least one finger and actually we've got a really good example here um which is now i call it the nipple but it's not called the nipple is it <laughs> no it's uh, it's a very it's a, it's a finnish i think it's the swedish thing actually it's called nudud nudud n-u-d-u-d nudud so I, I don't know if dan the producer can zoom in on that or see it uh it's uh it's basically, so you get lots of gloves, touch screen sensitive, mm-hmm. you can use your sat-nav, use your phone, especially when I'm on saw, I've always got a, a sat-nav or a phone on to find my way. Um, if you haven't got touch screen sensitive 
finger on your gloves uh, you've got to take your gloves off every time you want to change something and it's a pain in the backside uh, most gloves will just have something here if they fit well touch the screen not a problem if they don't fit well you find a big fat finger yeah, it's, it's kind of trying to press a button on a, on a tom tom or on your phone um so i know how varsons do this is it on Lindstrand stuff as well yep it's on almost all our gloves now apart yeah. from um Oh, that's makeshift. No, on all our gloves at the moment. Most of our gloves is you have that on. So the nudded. Uh, and it's just it's just simple and ingenious. It's a little, it's a little stylus, a little uh, stylus ball on the end of the finger, yeah. so you can get the right button on your on your sound now with your phone. Does it I've never worn a pair with mine. Does it just such a simple and good idea, yeah. Does it make them can you feel it when you've got them on? No, not in the slightest. But it just means you can if you've got various different touchscreen uh, buttons on your sat nav yeah. or your phone, you can just Pick the one easily. That's like, a great idea. Yeah, it's it's it tends to make yeah. um, make putting postcodes and things like that much easier you know, yeah. instead of constantly getting it wrong. Because obviously they're trying to make the screens as small as possible because they're they're big and ugly tend to be. Yeah. On the phone, your phone screen is getting bigger actually now, but yeah. it's still those buttons are quite small. So that's a lovely bit of technology, and it's uh, it's amazing it's taking this long to come about. Really, it's just I, such a simple idea. Simple, yeah. yeah, and yeah, we, yeah do from, we do it on forty nine pound gloves all the way up through our top set of stuff. Yeah. It's actually most important on the winter ones, I would say. Yeah. Because yeah. winter gloves are always yeah. terrible; so you can't feel anything. That's it. But I would say it's completely pointless when you've got a Honda NT eleven hundred. Google CarPlay, Apple CarPlay, Apple CarPlay, Apple CarPlay, and that horrible console on the left hand switch gear. Um which looks like it could be a control tower for launching a spaceship. 14, 15 buttons yeah. on the left switch gear. But once you get used to it, you can navigate through the whole menu. You can. Yeah, Although your screen is touchscreen sensitive. It is, you did want to touch it. it. I don't use it because, <laughs> I, because I'm, yeah, I'm so adept at using the buttons now. Uh, the other feature, as you quite rightly said, visor wipe. Yes. Like, genuinely, I, I, not having a visor wipe on a pair of gloves drives yeah. me absolutely it's crazy. One of those things you don't realise how much you use it till it's, it's gone. It's such a small little thing. And you can zoom in on that. If you, everyone's probably seen a visor wipe before, yeah. but you know you either get it on the thumb or you get it on the forefinger. Um, and especially with you, I was out. Uh, I was riding uh, a sports touring bike this weekend, um, and it didn't rain. But I just got a hell of a lot of bugs on yeah. my face. And just being able to flick a few bugs <laughs> off really does help. But particularly in the rain, if you uh, not if you don't have a bike with a big screen. Having a visor wipe is just it's I, a godsend. I would say visor wipes on quality gloves are a must. I would say if you're buying at the cheaper end. I'd possibly forego the visor wipe because because they're cheaper. They're they're not designed probably not curved properly. Can make the gloves quite uncomfortable. But if you're buying a premium uh, glove, you get a curved visor wipe that they've actually developed to be comfortable at the budget, and they might just stuck it on and it'll just be so. I've seen fatigue in your fingers. Some budget and stuff, they have like a suede patch, which is better for yeah, for wiping. Yeah. And I think that's a that's something a reasonable compromise yes. yeah. from a, from a visor wipe. So yeah. Yeah. But something to wipe your visor with for sure. Yeah, making sure making sure that the other thing is making sure the membrane's got some sort of fitted system. So it's not just yeah. gonna pull out immediately when you put it on. Yep. Um, that's quite important on gloves. Um leather palms are normally better the best way to go in terms of protection. Mm. Um other than that, uh hard knuckle, if you can get a hard knuckle on a glove, make sure it's got either a stretch panel on it or it's raised. Yeah. Because it has and that can cause fatigue. Uh and just fit really. Just make sure you get it to fit properly. Uh check check your fingers. Uh, ladies out there, um, we do gloves down size five, and they have a slightly different fitting between five and eight to nine to fourteen because you have slightly longer fingers and smaller palms. We have slightly fatter fingers and fatter palms, so there is a slight difference in the way men's and ladies' gloves fit as well. Just to mention, of course, worth mentioning. So, yeah, yeah uh, anything else about gloves? I don't think so. That's it. I just, uh, I don't think we've said it. Comfort is so important. <laughs> Know, the, the amount of gloves, because we test a lot of gear here, the amount of gloves that fit me around the wrist, mm. but the fingers are really long at the end or vice versa. Yeah. It really does, you know, there's a huge range of sizes and shapes and so forth. So just 
try them on if you can. Yeah, you know, I know it's tricky buying online, but just go to your local bike shop and try on as many pairs as you can to get a pair that suit you. Yeah. I would mention um, when they attach the small finger to the next finger on sort of sport gloves, Yeah, you possibly don't need that for standard road riding. That's when you lose the front when you're uh, cranked over on the track and your small finger hits the ground first and pulls back and it stops it tearing off essentially by being attached to your one above. When you're doing standard road riding, possibly you're not going to need that or upright adventure style riding so only when you're playing basketball when you're playing basketball (laughs) (laughs) so yeah maybe you don't need that for for standard standard road gloves it's more of a track high sport thing nice so i think we've gone from head to toe we've come to no conclusions (laughs) but hopefully we've um been vaguely informative (laughs) about kind of the sort of gear that we've found uh useful to wear and also ed for telling us lots and lots of technical details yeah. that um that kind of yeah really does Hopefully make you think when you're buying things yeah no 100 percent. um so i think that's probably it for our gear and setup so we've got to do is book the tickets yeah. have some time off work and uh and disappear off to the alps i'm gonna throw, throw one question though which might throw you but what about one bit of gear or an accessory that you that isn't like an obvious one to take on tour with you that you would take have you got one in mind? This is why you asked the question. Well, <laughs> I did, and it's but it's quite obvious actually. It's a, I I wouldn't go touring. Well, I, I really would, but I would be much more comfortable and happy touring with a tank bag. And I know yeah. it's not clothing, but it's just something to add into that. Yeah, yeah I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and say yeah. luggage. Yeah, like uh, just some sort of luggage because I spent the weekend with a bag strapped to the back of a bike, <laughs> yeah. and it was an absolute pain in the backside every time I stopped wanting to get something out, and I packed my wallet in it. So I was at a service station, unstrapping the bike, yeah, <laughs> getting yeah. through, you know, and it's so, yeah, I think I, uh, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But I, I would, I personally like big metal luggage yeah. when I go touring with a top opening yeah. and throw all my stuff in. And I know when you're riding off-road, soft stuff's better and so forth. But for me, on our trip, I'm taking metal panniers. I'm doing, I'm doing the you and Charlie look. <laughs> I'll do a left field one. I would take a very small towelette or towel. So that if you're okay. stopping to fill with fuel and your hands get wet, you can dry them before you put gloves back on. That's a good idea. That's a good so suggestion. So your gloves liners don't pull out, yeah. which I've mentioned Towlets. 20 times. Sounds Towlets. quite fancy. I was trying to think of a way of saying yeah. it. Before that. <laughs> I, I thought, was it a t- just a napkin? It's a, yeah, it's a small <laughs> towel. Or a microfiber clothy type thing. And, and also you can use it to clean your visor if you need to as well. Yeah. That's a, that's a good suggestion, actually. One that I have never actually thought of. Yeah, nice. Do you know another thing as well that uh, it looks a little bit of an overkill and it's more of an off-road riding thing? But a camel pack or, or some sort of hydration yeah, pack, yeah, definitely. Like so, you've just got you can just take a little suck of some water through your visor. Because um, I get really di- dehydrated on bikes. Mm. You, know, you probably ride for four or five hours. Quick stop for petrol. You might not have a drink or anything, yeah. and you can really get de- dehydrated even in winter. Yeah. Um, particularly on a on a ride down to the Alps in the summer, it, it gets thirsty work. It does. It does. That's why that's why we stop and have wine and beer in the evening. That's <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. Just rehydrate, yeah. <laughs> that's it. All right, are we covered? Any more any more left field questions? Any more gear that we couldn't live without? No. On to a few listeners' comments <laughs> okay. from the last well, from the last podcast and a couple before as well. And um, Ed's gonna choose his favourite listeners' comment and you can win a wonderful pair of Halvarsen's gloves. So straight to it. Um, to begin with I'd like to basically say some good news. You may have noticed 
that we've lost our wallpaper. Oh, no. Now, uh, in our previous studio, you might have noticed it's a slightly different setup if you've seen the ABR Garage before. Uh, Bryn and I spent a very happy afternoon mounting some wallpaper that looked like brickwork. Yeah. And we were quite proud of it. And even though all the bricks didn't really line up, it, it was pretty close. Mm. Um, and we had lots of complaints. People don't <laughs> like our brick wallpaper. Yeah, I, I, initially I thought we'd done an amazing job, but the more people pulled it up, with them. It was really warm, so yeah, we've just yeah. got a nice, boring, plain background <laughs> now. So anyone I hated the brickwork, there you go. I hope you enjoy it. But uh, no, I'm quite sad to see our brickwork go. But it is now the background for our meeting office. So mm. people who come to ABR and want a cup of coffee can be wowed by a wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, wow. I was wowed. <laughs> Were yeah, you wowed? Yeah. It's going to be a tourist <laughs> attraction. All right, so Keith Quinn uh, on YouTube, uh, he commented on the Kawasaki versus 300 review, which... God, we're going back a few years now. It's quite an old one, yeah. Yeah, but he's, he's been going back through the library because this was a week or so ago. And uh, his comment was, there's no point in having an adventure bike or a dual sport in England. There's nowhere to ride. Just get a street bike or move to a better country. So I quite agree with Keith. I think we should all move to America <laughs> or Canada. And um, But I, I guess, you know, Keith, obviously entitled to your opinion, mate. Love it. Um, but personally, I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, pretty pretty much in, <laughs> entirely with that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you could take that attitude with just about anything. Of you know, why drive a four by four in the UK? You can't go off roading in it. Most people don't live on farms. You know, why drive a Range Rover or something like that? It's because it's nice. Mm, and I think the, the reason kind of I picked this comment wasn't to uh, wasn't to antagonise Keith, but was to say we actually have a guide to green laning. Uh, yes, that we have on Adventure Bike Riders website, which is www.adventurebikerider.com uh, and if you go to is it the free stuff tab mm-hmm. I think if you go to the free stuff tab uh, you can download a free guide to green laning it's got some routes in there but it's also got some details about how to get into green laning how to find legal byways and things like that so if you are a bit like Keith um, you are not may not be aware of the opportunities to ride off road in the UK well in England and Wales because you can't really ride off road in Scotland there's different rules uh, please do head over to yeah. the website download that free guide and hopefully it's going to open up the wonderful world of trail riding yeah. in the UK for you. I'd also say there's one weekend of the year that makes it entirely uh, worth buying an adventure bike for. What weekend's that? I've well, never, never heard of that. <laughs> yes. The date's not on it. The 24th to the 26th <laughs> of June. <laughs> 24th to the 26th yeah. of June. Um, the Adventure Bike Rider Festival. It is. Um, you, you, you've been. It's I'll be great. Uh, the, the Adventure yep. Bike, you know, three days of, well, it's the Glastonbury of adventure yeah. biking festivals exactly. or biking festivals. But we do have a 20-kilometre off-road trail, which yep. has been designed specifically for big adventure bikes. There's a beginner's loop, so if you've never gone off-road before, you can ride that, build your confidence up before you go to the trail. But even better, we've got all the leading, well, all of the off-road schools yeah, pretty that. much in the UK will be there um, teaching you how to ride off-road. So if you've never done it before teaching you the basics, uh, if you have done it before, improving your skills. And we've also got the Trail Riders Fellowship, who will be taking people out on green lane rideouts. Mm. Um, and, you know, those guys, uh, they're just some of the world's leading, well, the UK's leading experts in riding off, in riding off-road in our, uh, in our home country. And, um, and so they've got a huge amount of knowledge and expertise that they'll pass on. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get into riding off-road in the UK, uh, the best place to do it is the Adventure Bike Rider Festival. Yeah. And if, if anyone wants to come see me at the festival and talk to me about kits and clothing, we'll, we'll have a stand there as well. So me and uh, Mick, who's my colleague, um, who's an ex-TT winner, if you want to talk to him about that as well, he'll be there with me. Um, and any advice on any part of clothing, it doesn't have to be on Halverson's Lindstrands, it can be on anything. Come so 
you you're also doing a talk. I am doing a talk. Yeah, right. Oh. On it's as far as I know, it's how to master the art of layering. Yeah, right? be more on layering, so a bit more than we've done today. Yeah, a little bit more in depth, show you some products, and uh, and uh, yeah, it should yeah. be interesting. Hopefully, so I, I think genuinely, if you want to go and learn a lot about gear and kit, you should go and see uh, Ed at the Adventure Bike Ride Festival. It's going to be an interesting talk. You do. Yeah, there. we'll chat about anything to anyone. No yeah, and the joy of that is always you're learning about layering, you're learning about how to prepare for your next tour. So as well as lots of riding off road stuff going on, you know, this is very much road based festival as well. So there's a huge amount there for, for road riders. Where can you get tickets, Bruno? You can get tickets from www.abrfestival.com slash tickets. And there are still a few available, although we are close to selling out. So yeah, if you're watching this soon, uh, from where we're <laughs> filming this, um, Soon from the release date of this video, you want to get over there ASAP to get your tickets. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so uh, the next comment is, well, all the comments actually from uh, our podcast we did about should you go on a guided bike tour or should you travel solo? Mm. Uh, and we spoke of that for a couple of hours and came to yeah. no conclusions, nope. which was great. Um, but uh, a chap called Craig Niven, we might have heard of. Craig, yeah. Uh, said, um, I like free travel. Well, we all like traveling for free. Yeah. But um, I think he means solo travel or or going it alone with mates. So he says, I like free travel with friends or solo. It doesn't matter. Start when you uh, start when you want to. Stop when you want to and look at what you want to. There we go. Loosely guided is good, like a suggested route and things to see, but go it alone. Fully guided would feel awkward and forced for me. Yeah, fair enough. I think what we... the the outcome we came to on that podcast was it depends entirely on you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a person and what you prefer and craig seems very um sure in what he prefers so what do you reckon ed would you prefer uh, you know going on a guided tour or would you prefer to go it alone i always think i would prefer to go it alone but whenever i do a tour with the right people it's always yeah. far better because they know the area they know what to see the, the rides where to go so i always think i'd rather do it on my own but actually i think i'd rather do it on a guided tour most of the time yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? That I, I've done a couple of guided tours relatively recently, and you're right. It's it's the people that made that tour, and it, I didn't really feel as if I'd got to know the locations as well as if I was figuring stuff out on my own. But I had a thoroughly good time with some good people. So there you go. So uh, Gareth Burningham from that video, but a slightly different approach to it. He's talking about where you stay, accommodation. With a tent hotel. So he goes, as far as tenting goes, I have a four-man tent. It's still small enough to carry, but gives me plenty of space when I'm in there. Plus, I would never share a tent. After a day's riding, sometimes you need your own space. Yeah. Could you see yourself sharing a tent with the two of us in the Alps? A four-man <laughs> with us three, unlikely, I think. <laughs> but but Gareth's got a good point, isn't there? And it's something that we talk about in ABR a lot, is that just because you're going on a solo bike tour doesn't necessarily mean you should buy a solo tent. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not, no. I, I don't think, well, I can't remember the last time I, as a single man, slept in a single man tent. No. Um, and I don't mean single in relationship. Well, in relationship. Is it because it's full of ladies <laughs> with you? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, at the Island Rally, I, my tent was a big free, free man tent. Mm -hmm. Massive porch that I could still strap it onto the back of my bike. And I was, I was happy in that. Because at the end of the day, I'd still stay in a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <an option. laughs> but but that is the thing with tents, isn't it? Like you know, you've got if you're road touring, chances are you've got some metal panniers. If you haven't got a pillion, you've got some space on the back. Yeah. Like space or weight isn't really an issue. So genuinely, take a take a bigger tent. Yeah, the have bigger some tent room. you can get, the better. Something you can sit yeah. up in and take your t-shirt off. 
Fucking stand up. Yeah. Like, stand up. Oh yeah. well, that's that's going hardcore. Yeah, well, the, 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 <laughs> the, the, it was a Robin's tent I was in, and you could just about stand up if you bent over in it, and it was you know you could dress fully in the morning without having to worry about standing in the muddy porch and stuff like that. So you get a tent you can stoop in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't mm-hmm. think of anything worse. Well, I can think of lots of things worse, but, <laughs> you know, it's such a miserable thing trying to squeeze yourself into damp textiles yeah. after you've just ridden the, in the rain and you've taken your damp textiles off and you've had to sleep next to the... Oh, yeah. Misery. All right, so we're going luxury on our tour, and it's all right. Uh, And then this comment from Mark Hollidge. He said, uh, last year was the first time I toured on a motorcycle after recently getting my licence. So nice one, Mark. Uh, I did it it with a group in Wales, and then Yorkshire with my best mate, and then Norfolk on my own in a tent. All were amazing trips in different ways. So my advice as a relatively newbie would be to put a date in the diary and just go. It doesn't matter how, you always feel like you're having an adventure on two wheels. And I kind of... I, that resonated me with that comment because I think I can be real guilty of procrastinating and faffing and yeah. where do I go? I want to go to Scandinavia. Oh, I'd love to cross America. I really want to get back to the Alps. And, you know, I just pick somewhere, pick a date and do it. Yep. Got no more to say than that. Should I say some more? No, I think he's absolutely right. I think you just need to get... I, I haven't done as much touring as I want to over the last few years. Um, I used to be a commuter as well on a bike so really that was enough riding because you've been on it every day uh, and I keep saying I need to do this trip that trip and the other trip and I, and I very rarely get around to doing it so um, yeah definitely just just book something go somewhere even if it's Norfolk you know it's only two hours away probably near enough on an NT you get there and back <laughs> no problem at all <laughs> playing nice hotels as well so yeah absolutely that that's that's great advice yeah good stuff so what are we thinking pair of gloves to the your favorite letter Oh, I think it's got to be to the uh, Mark the newbie because he probably hasn't got the best gloves out there. So if we give him these, oh, actually, again, what a guy! That's like so. Uh, Mark, <laughs> if you're if you're watching this, uh, please do leave a comment or um, uh, email me at jamesadventurize.co.uk. That's with a Z, um, so that we can get those gloves to you. Uh, I'll also pop a little uh, reply to your comment on the video as well, and hopefully. Hopefully you're watching and uh, we can send those gloves to you. Yeah. Size-wise on those gloves, if you've got a local store that stocks Halverson's, obviously they've probably got a pair you can try on in there. But other than that, if, if it's a different brand, if you just find out what brand you've tried and the size and let the guys know, I should be able to convert it over to ours to get the right size. So, Good simple. stuff. Excellent. So I do have one more comment. Uh, and this wasn't up for the prize because someone vehemently disagreed with me. <laughs> but it does lead into our final, the final slot in this podcast where uh, we're just going to catch up a little bit about the long-term review bikes that yeah. Bryn and I have been riding. Um, so this was from someone called HS who commented on my video review of the Suzuki GSX S 1000 GT Sports Toro bike. Uh, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's on YouTube. Um, I spent three days in Scotland, had a thoroughly nice time on what I think is an incredible motorcycle. Um, but HS said, uh, Suzuki should put this engine on a V-Strom as a sporty adventure bike, an inline four, and competition for Kawasaki versus 1000. Not a bad shout. Uh, I'm not sure about I'm not sure about the engine on an adventure bike, but you know, nice and smooth, good for road touring. Um, but the GT does not offer good wind protection. I said it was quite good for a sports tourer, yeah. uh, or an upright seating position. Well, I said it was relatively upright for a sports tourer. Um, you're leaning forward on the handlebar, and it's not comfortable for longer rides. Um, and I just kind of, I, I didn't want to highlight that just so I could have an argument with HS, um, but it did highlight to me how different people find different bikes. Because yeah, I know, totally. I, I love the GT. I, I spent a, 
quite a few hours on it this weekend riding long distance on motorways and had a thoroughly good time but you took it for a spin on Friday mm. and had a completely different experience didn't you yeah I mean I can exactly different people like different things and different people are more comfortable on different things and for me when I got on that that, that bike um, immediately I could I had no desire to go any further than Tesco's yeah. which was where I went oh handy uh, yeah um but you know that's not to say it's a bad bike by any shout or uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure people go very far on them, do great things on them, and have a very good time on them. Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of my my long term review bike at the moment. Yeah, um, and at the weekends I uh, I did a sort of four hour schlep down to Cornwall on motorways in uh, okay weather. Uh, spent some time with the family, and then Sunday came back the same way. And do you know what? I was I was massively impressed by it. Because I usually ride adventure bikes, nice upright position, not particularly acute leg banged angle, relatively comfy seats. This thing is a sports story. Obviously, it's sportier. Yeah. But the screen does this kind of witchcraft where when you're at slow speeds, you feel quite a lot of pressure on your, on your wrists. Um, but as soon as you up the speed a little bit, it just pushes your body back, nudges it back gently. And so that that pressure disappears and you're just cruising along. And, and somehow it manages to have you in this really smooth flow of air that it almost feels like riding a completely naked bike at low speeds. Um, I'll caveat that with when there was a crosswind, it was <laughs> not the best experience yeah, yeah. in the world. Um, but as a long-distance bike, I have to admit, I'm, I'm coming around to the idea of a sports tourer more than I ever did. Wow. And, and you're, a, you're a road man, aren't you? So road you and you're going to agree <laughs> with me there. Well, I've just sold an RGV250, so everything will feel more comfortable. So <laughs> regardless of what, what, what bike we talk about today, anything would feel more comfortable. Yeah, I, I am looking at some sports tourers now, and they are of that type of ilk. You know, even I've been looking at VFR 800s, that sort of thing, for a bit of uh, touring and stuff. So I've, I've ridden adventure bikes, so mostly off-road um, stuff, which... Uh, the guy I was riding with told me he'd never seen someone near to, as near to crashing as I was on the GS1200 <laughs> that, that he owned. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting riding. But yeah, I'm more of a sports tourer guy, and I would find that extremely comfortable compared to what I'm used to, yeah. whereas going the other way from a sit-up, it obviously feels slightly less comfortable. Yeah. So it's all perception, really. That's so it. I would, I would say about that bike, though, is that um, I don't think it... Uh, so the draw on that, right, is the performance of it. To an extent. Mm. Not... Not the kind of wrist-jerking, knee-down kind of madness, because I just don't ride like that. I'm yeah. not good enough, to be honest with you. You know, I do I do mostly touring when I ride. It, it's just, somehow, it, it's just a really nice package. I liken it to the BMW GS a little bit, even though it's a completely different bike. And, you know, the GS, it doesn't really, for me, have any standout features that are much better than anything else but as a complete package everything works together wonderfully yeah to create a really kind of great bike do you know what the gt in a very different way is quite similar yeah. beautiful smooth engine you know kind of oh, I, I it really, is super smooth i'm it? just really taken with it yeah and i was cruising along a, a faster than i should have been up the m5 on sunday um and looked down at my speed and i was quite taken aback about it because i was just cruising merrily along mm. the only downside i find is my ass was aching yeah well that's, that's isn't a big particularly one, right? comfortable but yeah. you know my ass how are your knees not too bad mm. not too bad at all more acute than obviously you'd find on an africa twin or a gs but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the old ducati multistrada 1260 gt we had mm. a couple of years ago which is kind of a sportier adventure bike in that um yeah it wasn't yeah. too bad at all i stretched more obviously than i would on a gs yeah. but 
yeah, it was a good experience. So here's, here's, here's my thinking on it is, you know, th- to me, the draw of a bike like that is the performance of it and, and how it's, it's all about getting, going faster, quicker and stuff like that. But you can do all of that on you know, certain adventure bikes or adventure sports bikes these days, like the BMW S1000XR. I would say in terms of the ride, the, X, the, the Suzuki isn't much different from the S1000XR in terms of what it provides you. Yeah. Just the X1000XR, to me, just makes more sense from a comfort point of view. I haven't ridden it. Mm. I don't know. Well, you but uh, a bike I have ridden is the Honda NC 1100, which we, we touched on, which <laughs> yeah. is a lot today. You can, I know you quite like it. Uh, and that's your long-term review bike at the moment. Yep. Um, so how are you finding it? <laughs> Do you know what? Amazingly enjoyable. Yeah. I, I will say it's a uh, it's the DCT version of the the bike, so it's got no clutch, no gears. Well, it's got gears, but you just twist and go. And we've also got a Multistrada V4 here, V4S, which, on the face of it, is my ideal bike. It's big, massive, looks incredible, premium. But I was given the option to choose you to ride either the Multistrada or the, the Honda. And for some reason, I found myself going towards the Honda. I just, after riding it, I just found myself connecting with it so well. Because you're getting old. Because Is I'm that getting why? old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah at 31. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, it's, um, it's a complete package, really, in terms of, uh, for, from a road touring perspective. It's riding it over to Ireland, three days, Three long days, um, not a single ache of pain. I said that at the start. The wind, the windscreen's perfect, but the best thing I like about it is just the feel of the engine and the the, the sound you get back from it. It's a really exciting bike to ride from that perspective. I just like revving it up and riding through the gears, and you hear the the engine sort of barking. It's all because from the outside, it would appear to be quite a a boring bike yeah, yeah, <laughs> from a mar- even from a marketing point of view it's a yeah. this does this this is what it does and it does it like a Honda would yeah. so if you'd say it's an exciting ride is I guess it, it was it was tricky for them to get it wrong wasn't it because they took so, uh, if, you, if you're not aware of the NC 1100 they took the engine mm. and the chassis from the Honda Africa Twin which is a cracking machine yeah. isn't it engine full of character great chassis um, and they built a touring bike around mm. it so they had the bare bones there to begin with didn't yeah. they yeah and you might say, you know, Alan, who rode it for a, f- for a few uh, <coughs> few days, su- suggested that it might not be the best bike for him for touring because it's quite vibey. Alan, the founder of Adventure Bike Rider. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, in a touring bike, he wants silky smooth, which is fair yeah. enough. And you know what? I, when I went on long motorway journeys, it did come to think that, yeah, actually, I, w- I am feeling a few vibrations through my legs, through the pegs, um, but also the the sound of the bike at 70 it's quite irritating. <laughs> <laughs> but you soon get used to it. But it's just one of those things where it just the 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 sound of the twin is just quite irritating. I guess no other way of putting it. Really. I guess oh, that's yeah. what you're saying about the Suzuki, isn't it? It's got that smooth engine where you're oh. not gonna get that. Yeah. So yeah. Th- so the the editor and managing editor of Adventure Bike Rider are loving their two road touring bikes, <laughs> their sports tourer. Yeah, their road tourer. But you know, you know, if if, yeah. if I was if I was gonna do some off road and I would take the you know the Africa Twin is is just as good, um, but from from I just mentioned also the value for money perspective of the NT eleven hundred the whole package you get for is it eleven nine 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 eleven thousand nine hundred ninety nine I think it's is that without DCT without DCT yeah. with DCT is twelve nine nine nine, but you get um, 
panniers you get that adjust big adjustable screen and when that's in the upright position there's it's such a stable place to be behind there you're not getting buffeted at all um you get heated grips you get a center stand you get apple carplay you get all this stuff as standard which other manufacturers charge you through the Roof, good roof. Therefore, <laughs> you know, after adding all those on, you're adding a few extra grand to your to your bike. This stuff comes as standard, and then you've got a bike that you can buy from the showroom and bugger off yeah. and have a great time. Good times. Yeah. The only thing I would do, the only thing I'd change to it right now is I'd put bar raises on it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You do lean. I did find a little bit of pressure on my wrists when yeah. I was riding over a long period of time. Yeah, but not as much as on the Suzuki. Do you know what? More. It, that's the weird thing about that bike. There was more on the NT yeah. than you feel on the Suzuki at speed. Yeah. So it's weird because the, the seating position on the Africa Twin, I think, is pretty much perfect. Oh, it's amazing. It's super it's upright. Throne. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. So if they'd, if they'd kept that, those ergonomics with the NT, I think they would have been pretty much spot on. So I think you can fix that just by adding some uh, bar risers. Nice. Which would you choose, Ed, out of the two? Africa Twin or the Suzuki. Let's throw the Africa Twin in there as well. The Suzuki, <laughs> the NT11 or the Africa Twin. Oh, the Suzuki. The Suzuki, yeah. <laughs> cool. Excellent. All right. No, well, neither of you know what you're talking about. No, that's no. it. No, we're all wrong. <laughs> we're all wrong. Um, we do have other long-termers in the fleet, but we'll touch upon them next time we cool. do a podcast, um, which kind of just leads me to say thanks very much for watching. Um, and please do leave your comments below the video. Uh, let us know your gear setups, whether you prefer laminated or three-layer, what helmets work for you. Uh, and if you've got any thoughts on the NT and the Suzuki as well, let us know. We will read out our favourite comments next time. And, well, I guess we've got to give away a prize next yeah. time as well, haven't we? I don't know if we can top those gloves. I know, no, they're pretty nice. Uh, so, yeah, no. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate you being here, mate. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Come on. Yeah, Bryn, next time. And, got a floppy uh, mic again. You've got a floppy <laughs> mic again. And uh, yeah, if you uh, enjoyed the video, please do subscribe and we will see you next time. Thank you.